Previously on The Bedford Diaries. It's a new year and a new class of hot, young undergrads ready to indulge in Professor Macklin's sex seminar. Last semester, Natalie jumped off a building. This semester, she might be jumping into freshman Owen's arms, especially since he just asked her out. Things were heating up with resident virgin Zoe and classmate Lee. Until news broke that he's a dad-to-be. Sarah, student body president, used to bang her married teacher, Professor Dixon. Too bad Richard had to expose him in the Bedford Bugle. Speaking of, our favorite editor-in-chief might be catching the love bug with a woman Macklin is still in love with. His ex-wife, Katrina. This is The Bedford Diaries, Part Part 2. I thought that was perfect. (laughs) I'm really proud of that intro. Do you agree? I do. Dearly departed, are you listening? We will remember all about you. When you were canceled, we were trembling. We can't believe that they would doubt you. Don't forget you and the rest. Dearly depart, dearly departed. Are you ready to just jump in? Uh, well, we have to fucking tackle the elephant in the goddamn room. <laughs> Which one? Because <laughs> there's just so many. Uh, You're referring to our egregious, offensive, and embarrassing mispronunciation in the Bedford Diaries part one of Penn Badgley's name look we know how it's spelled we know there's a d well we we... pronounce the d just separately I feel like we were saying I think I was saying Penn Bagley in my well that's embarrassing I was just saying Bagley (laughs) because I grew up with a family of Bagleys like that's like a name that I've heard um but yeah, so we get it. We we got the message. It's Penn Badgley. Um, honestly, I think Bagley is better. But um, no offense. We still, we love him. Um, and we are going to pronounce his name correctly for well, the foreseeable future. Yeah. Look, if I slip, I slip. But are we, I, I personally have not done the research to hear him pronounce his name. Usually I do. If I don't know how to pronounce a name, I'll go to an interview and try to hear the celebrities say it themselves. I haven't done that with him. Um, I'm not going to. But people seem to be... I did right before we recorded. It is It, it is, is confirmed Penn Badgley. It's Badgley. Okay. According to one of the late night hosts. Okay, least. cool. Yeah, we've had um, we've had a couple people Look, I was in just so concerned with saying Milo Ventimiglia's name correctly right. that Penn just kind of slipped. I know, because at least I didn't say Ventimiglia, which I absolutely could have. I have. And probably will again in the future. I also have to apologize now because I might be sniffling into the mic. Um, I'm just allergic to life. This mortal coil. (laughs) Like there's just, there's no relief from these allergies. I'm on like three different types of allergy medication and a Sudafed. And um, I'm still congested. It pains me to see you suffering like this. Thank you. I mean, you know, I'm glad we can at least suffer When you suffer, I suffer. I know. And sometimes I laugh, but mostly... Yeah, actually, to be quite <laughs> honest, when I suffer, you laugh most of the time. Period. 
can you close that mirror behind you? I just feel like I'm distracted now by the clutter of the closet. Oh, that's better. It just makes the room feel so much bigger. Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Um, wow. So there's something else I want to talk about. And I've been kind of rehearsing this in my mind um, before bed. You know, you, you're just like when your thoughts are running and... No. <laughs> Some of us don't fall asleep in the first five minutes of hitting the pillow, Roberto. But, um, you know... What do you been, need to talk about? What, what are you wrestling with? I've been laying awake at night because I have recently had an awakening. I feel like I know where you're going with this. <laughs> and my heart's immediately racing. Is it? I think so, yeah. Do, do you know which awakening I'm talking about? Because there's been a couple, but there's some, there's one that I feel like I want to talk about, specifically with the, the podcast. I mean, I feel like we you've moved on from your Justin Long awakening and your Joey King awakening. I want to talk about Justin Long. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I just, I, I'm glad that you, you think I've moved on, but I, I think what you have to understand about me, right, is that I do have passions. I do have obsessions. Like Zoe will learn. Like Zoe on the Bedford Diaries. And I'm a very passionate person and I can get really caught up with a new obsession. Yeah. And then, you know, I might move on a couple weeks later to a new, a different obsession. Yeah. But the previous obsession doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. It's always just adding layers of obsession, layers of interest. So, so where has your Justin Long obsession led you? Did we talk about him last episode? I don't think we did. And that's why I want to talk right now because, you know, I, I don't think Justin Long is getting necessarily discussed in our community as much as he deserves. Well, he, as far as I know, he hasn't done television. So there just <laughs> hasn't been an opportunity for us to discuss Justin Long. I just want to come clean about my personal journey because when I started tweeting about deciding to be a stan, standing Justin Long, um, I had a lot of people from my past confronting me because I actually used to talk shit on Justin Long. A lot of people? I said what I said. I just said a lot of people. Why would you question me? <laughs> Several. Okay, a lot means more than one, right? So two. <laughs> people have been confronting me because I used to talk shit on Justin Long, and that is because... I really hate the movie, He's Just Not That Into You. And, you know, I want to say this in the kindest way possible. Um, I haven't seen the movie in many years, but I did recently come to terms with the fact that perhaps the reason why I hate the movie isn't Justin Long. Right. I maybe didn't even remember that he was in it. He's like the main I've only seen it love interest for one of the characters. Ago. He plays a he plays an asshole. The movie is awful. I hate it. Okay, like I said what I said. I think I've been coming to terms with the fact that maybe what I don't like about the movie isn't Justin Long. Maybe it's Jennifer Goodwin. <gasps> <laughs> and uh, you know, I <laughs> take it back. Do you love her? No, I don't. Okay, okay. I, I, this is not a podcast where I want to talk shit on you know any women in the industry. So I'm not here to talk shit on Jennifer Goodwin. But I am here to... Abby, our entire show, (laughs) our entire podcast, I think from the outside perspective, maybe people expect that you and I are sitting down to watch one season gems, like cult classics, like... 
Because every time we talk about this podcast with our friends, they're like, oh my god, you have to watch My So-Called Life. Or Freaks and Geeks. Or You obviously don't listen to the you podcast. You have no idea what we're interested in. <laughs> You're missing the point. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the shows we're discussing on this show, yeah. I would say more often than not, they're negative reviews. Well, I, you say that, but... From the heart. I mean, you and I both enjoy the show so much. It's It's not like we're sitting on the couch like, fuck this, I'm so tired of watching this show. Yeah, we'll be critical and we'll make fun, but I don't think that that's like the point, right? I just don't think... I don't think people think we're I want you to feel free to say what you really feel about Jennifer Goodwin. Thank you for my permission. Um, I actually just don't have strong feelings. So I have nothing to say on the subject. So you had strong enough a strong enough hatred. I just associated Justin Long so strongly with that movie that I hate that I feel like I held it against him for a long time. And a couple months back, um, Paper Magazine posted um, uh, just like a bunch of pictures of Justin Long on their Instagram. Okay. I'm pretty sure that we went to college with the girl who runs their Instagram. Um, and she does a really good job. But I, I kind of stopped for a second. And was like, wait, yeah, just a long appreciation. Like, where have I been all these years? Failing to appreciate someone who has made such creative, such interesting, such um, sort of impressively, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, just someone who's made surprising and unexpected and unconventional movie choices. Going from the hit Britney Spears film Crossroads yeah. to the equally iconic horror film Jeepers Creepers. Yeah. yeah. So I just kind of had a moment where I was like, you know what? I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand. I'm going to turn this page. So once I let that in, once I let love in, right? And I open, and stop me if I'm going on too long, but I just feel like I would this never is, dream of this stopping is you. really something that I want to just like get off my chest. Um, once I opened that door, it was like a flood, just a rush of things. So, you know, we've plugged our sister pod, our friend, and, you know, soon to be roommate Anya, her podcast, um, The Girls Who Cried Be Horror. Right. She, you know, we all, we, Roberto and I are passionate about horror movies. And obviously that's not what we talk about on this podcast, but it is a huge part of our life. Um, and Anya was the one who told us you need to sit down and watch Jeepers Creepers right now. Right. So we did. Yeah. And my experience watching Jeepers Creepers awakened this passion for for Justin Long that I had opened my heart to. Right. I mean, watching that movie, for me, it it began and ended with his rock-hard abdomen. He's looking really good in that movie. And you know what? He still looks good. He looks the same. Like, he's aging really well for a white man. Like, I'm not going to lie. I feel like he's looking great. He's, like, a Bernie Sanders supporter. I mean, I think, you know, like most of us, he is going to be voting for Biden. But um, he's got the floppy hair. Um, I don't know. He's just... He dated one of your other favorites, Drew Barrymore. He's dated a lot of my favorites, actually, which I think just reflects, you know, he's amazing. Do we need to talk about Drew Barrymore's makeup line? Flower? Yeah. The I just Walmart know that you're exclusive. also really passionate Well, about I don't know if she's still making it, but I just know that, like, Drew Barrymore was doing her makeup line before a lot of other people had celebrity makeup lines. Um, Salma Hayek had one, and 
um, you know, Drew Barrymore had her Walmart exclusive flower, which we have to at least pay some respect to because it is budget friendly. Right. And that's just, you know, part of Drew's. Did you ever use any flower products? I didn't. Okay. Um, because I didn't buy my makeup at Walmart. I bought my makeup at CVS. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, he just has amazing taste in women, you know, as established by his dating record. Um, so I just, I don't know, the, it awoken, it awoken? Awakened. awakened. It awakened a passion. And I wanted to specifically vocalize this on the podcast because for a couple of reasons. Give him, give One of the reasons is I've been having passions for other people lately on the internet, on and you, Twitter. And you don't want to And I don't this. want people to feel like I've somehow moved on and that I've brushed this, this, you know, Justin Long moment that I had under the rug. I mean, there's several people that came for you. There's several people coming for me. So. On. And then I also, you know, I want to open the door. For other Justin Long stands. No, for Justin Long to oh. be a guest on our <laughs> podcast. So, you know, a lot of you noticed that we did have a celebrity guest last month, um, Molly McAleer. And, you know, we will have other guests in the future. We do have some stuff lined up and, um, you know, we are wide open in a lot of different respects. And Justin Long actually has a podcast that right. I have listened to like one and a half episodes of. He Huge hosts fan. it with his brother. Um what is it called? You Not want me quite to look sure. It up? Sure. Why okay. don't you do that? Why don't it's you do that? It's a little embarrassing for you. It is a little embarrassing. I also listened to his episode on Dax Shepard's podcast where he talked about his abduction and drugging that happened to him. Life is short. Life is short with, with Justin, Justin Long. So anyway, as a member of the podcast Sphere, Justin Long, I think, would be a really great guest for us. Um, he could... Maybe we could do a show in which one of his ex-girlfriends starred in. I would not want to put him through that. I think he's a private man. No. Um, but I like where your head's at. I like the way you're thinking. <laughs> but personally, for me, I would rather just have him come on and talk about one of his favorite one-season shows. I'm mm-hmm. sure he watches TV. Right. Um, and that's it. That's all. I feel like that was long enough. Do that you was about feel 15 minutes. like there's a weight lifted off your chest? Getting that, just talking about Justin Long yeah. on the pod. I do, because um, it was a journey for me. And I feel like it was part of my character development. Yeah. To realize that under the the negativity I had toward Justin Long for years, it was really masking different urges, different feelings. And, um, and this is why it's so important to do the work on yourself. Truly, and that's been, like, what quarantine has been about for me, has been doing the self-work. Doing yeah. the self-work and, yeah. and opening the door to love and opening the door to stanhood and being a stan, a super fan, you know, dedicated, going to the mattresses for Justin Long. I feel like this love has also awakened, um, you know, an, an artistic route for you. I mean... Right now, as I'm looking at you, you're wearing an Abigail Baldwin original design. I am designing t-shirts. I am. I don't want to plug them too hard. I am on Redbubble at Grimy Hag. That's my ad on everything. Um, just make it easy for y'all. But yeah, you know, I'm, I've, I feel like, you know, opening your heart, doing yourself work, stimulating creatively. And I've been on such a creative high lately. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that with a straight face. I've been doing jack shit lately. But 
um, you know, more to come. I feel like good things are coming and good things are behind us. Good things have happened. Right. Watching Jeepers Creepers, for example. I mean, we have a, a second one to look forward to. Jeepers Creepers 2? Yes. I don't think Justin Long's in it. No. Actually, I mean, his name is on the cast list, but maybe. Oh, like, really? I mean, then I'm in. Maybe like a humanoid. And not to spoil Jeepers Creepers. Let's move on. Guys, The Bedford Diaries. <laughs> Thank you so much for letting me take that 15 minutes. Oh my, I, of course, hon. I'm ready to talk about Bedford. I have so many fucking thoughts on this episode. Before we get into the episodes, I was on the interwebs. Right. So I love that you use the phrase interwebs. Yes. So this show, um, as y'all know, it's eight episodes. It's all available on YouTube. (laughs) And by all available, we mean parts of the show are missing. And you can't really purchase it on Amazon Prime. parts, you mean like four minutes at a time. Yes. Like random chunks are just missing from the YouTube playlist. So of course this led me to do my own research. Um, But as it turns out, no one cares about the Bedford Diaries. Yeah. Enough to have written in-depth recaps. So they don't exist. So we are the leading... Are you saying that we are the definitive... We're the definitive Bedford, Bedford Diaries, Diaries recap? recap? Is what I'm saying. I could be wrong if, if there's another one out there. We're so fucking groundbreaking. Um, but I, I did find... I stumbled on fanforum.com. Okay. On a thread titled, Milo's, the Bedford Diaries Appreciation Thread, number five. Okay. I don't know where one through four are. Right. I looked. They're with the rest of the missing minutes of Bedford Diaries. Correct. Um... There's nothing really interesting on that thread because right. no one's watched this show. Right. Um, but but there were two points that I did jot down. I thought okay. they were they were amusing. One of the things is it, it lists Milo's name, Richard Thorne the Third. Yes. Um, but it also states that he will go by Rick or Trey. <laughs> Trey. <laughs> you heard me. So th- in this chunk of episodes, we hear. Natalie start to call him Rick, which we not never... Rich, Rick with a hard K, which I like better than Rich. Right. Um, but who the fuck is Trey? Who's Trey? Where do you get Trey from, Richard? Richard. <laughs> if you're saying maybe Richard in cursive. Um, other than that, there was just a comment by XX Lisa XX. Um, that just says, quote, I am in love with Richard and Bedford Diaries. I swear, this week was Milo Overlord. Over, overload. I just fell in love with him over and over again. Is this, this thread was posted when the show was on in 2006. Ah, uh, I should have jotted down the date, but probably, probably if she said this week. Yeah. Um, one other, because you're right, like there's, there's no fan forums to note that we can find. If anybody has one, please. I mean, our, our DMs are a little bit flooded, but we'll try to get to your message. Um, but uh, when we were posting our promo stuff on Instagram, I did hashtag the Bedford Diaries. And when you click on the hashtag, there are a lot of images that have been hashtagged the Bedford Diaries, and it's mostly Penn Badgley and Milo Ventimiglia fan pages. Right. So the true fans of those two men... Um, have, know. you know, an understanding of their full IMDb page. And yeah. they are, you know, they're hashtagging Bedford. 
um, whether or not they've watched the show. I mean, I can only hope. Yeah. I do have to say before, again, we be dive in just on this topic of Penn and Milo, you know, during the last recording session, you could say that I was kind of just in, in terms of my mental state, just like right. really deep right. into my lust right. for those two men. Yeah. I mean, you've been deep into your lust. I would say since then, at least like sitting here now about to recap these episodes. You've redirected your lust somewhere else. I have redirected all of that energy into the only man one for man me. One man only. <laughs> the man who makes my heart race. The man I thought you were about to talk about. I know, but I had to go with Justin Long first. I just wanted a moment. We don't have to go deep in a 15 minute dive, but Orville Peck, y'all. Orville Peck. The thing with Orville Peck is it's so fucking embarrassing that we discovered him after our Pride playlist. Uh, It's so fucking embarrassing. For those who don't know, he is a gay cowboy who wears a leather mask and with fringe. He used to be on the West End. He used to be a professional ballerina. He used to be in a a punk band. Yeah. A couple different bands. Um, and now he is dropping some really great country music with some amazing visuals. It's really good. I, I have a lot of friends. Like, I've, I keep bringing him up to my friends and a lot of them don't care for his music. I think because they don't care for country at all. Yeah. But I don't have a country music background. Like, I'm not a huge country music fan. You've introduced me to a lot of country music artists that I do now really like. Yeah. But it's not like I'm enthusiastic about country as a whole genre. But I feel like half of the country I hear is genuinely really good. And Orville Peck is just the best. I agree. But his he's very theatrical. Yes. It's very, it's old timey country. It has other influences. People compare his first record to having like shoegaze influences, I think because of like the yeah. certain s- guitar sounds that he uses. Yes. Um, but it's just like, I love it. And it makes me want to cry all yeah. the songs. It does. It has a very classic country sound. Yeah. Look, I just want to say the point to that just being that I've re- redirected a lot of my romantic energy at him, energy at him, allowing you to be a little more objective when it comes to Bedford Diaries. Yes. Um, and then this morning I made the, detrimental mistake of watching this is us yeah so you got a little bit of your crying out yeah but i will say watching this is us i feel like only proves my point just that you know miley miley milo while watching it is of course still yummy yeah but it's like i was just far more concerned with my girl mandy Moore, right which just proves that i'm above it now i've moved on I'm really proud of you because I know that you are a sentimental at heart. Um, but it seems like you've grown really strong. <laughs> um, you know, you and I differ in these ways because I would describe my sort of emotional state as, um, you know, a corked, unopened bottle of the fizziest Prosecco. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a metal chain holding down that cork. And it cannot be popped, but like when it is, wow, there'll be a flood, uh, right? Yeah, so, emotionally, right? Mean. Yeah, because I'm just not a crier, and like yeah. I have a, I'm not someone who releases a lot of their emotional turmoil. But I've been using music lately, especially with the new Taylor Swift album, which is making me cry 
every time it comes on. And by cry, I mean, like, sort of get a little bit welled up, right? And now my experience with Orville Peck, um, I don't know. I just feel like I'm getting a little bit more in touch with my despair instead of just being a sort of silent, tearless, depressed person. Right. Letting it out a little bit. Letting the tears come, you know, letting the emotion just move through my body. Music is really the, it's kind of the best therapy besides actual therapy, which I I do also have. All of that to say, you know, you're getting really refreshed perspectives from both of us going into the yeah. these set of and, Bedford Diaries. And I episodes. should add, very lusty perspectives. Very lusty, right? I just feel like we've both been kind of lusty lately. I mean, That's I always true. am. Right, which I've I think I've established on several episodes of this podcast, maybe a little too much, um, but you know I'm I'm a lustful person. You know I I have those feelings, and you know we're all staying home right now. Yeah. I'm believing that you're staying home on the other side of this mic. You know the people listening. I'm I'm believing for my sake that you're wearing your mask and you know you're you're not out there partying. But um, you know it just it awakens those lustful feelings in a different way. So let's talk about lust. Yes. So episode five of The Bedford Diaries is called Love and the Tenth Planet. We open on Owen and Natalie. They are getting their flirt on in the library. And you can tell he really likes her because I noted that his hair looks a lot more conditioned in this episode than in previous episodes. It's like he finally discovered shea butter. Yeah. I mean, he's probably using whatever products she uses for her perfect little curls. Which, so many discoveries, right? His new hair conditioning. With her, I realized... She's got different highlights. Yes, but also that her style can be summed up in Disney Channel chic. It is Disney Channel chic. It's Disney Channel light. Yes. Because where Disney Channel will do ten layers, she maybe will do four. But it's... But it's those layers. A little conservative. It's a little, you think she's more of a six layer? <laughs> she just has a lot of belts that are like scarves, like silk scarves that she's put in her belt yeah. loops. Yeah. So they're in the library. They're flirting. And she calls him on his cell phone. He's sitting in front of her. Yeah. And she says, Owen, you're overheating. And of course, the only solution for his overheat is for them to sneak into the pool. Right. And she's, in the middle of the day? Yes. She strips. Naked. Um, it's a very tasteful silhouette. They don't show hole. They do not show hole. This is not NBC. <laughs> um, that's the opening of the episode. And I feel like only good things to come. Right. The class meets for a new lesson, but Richard is notably noticeably absent. And we begin cutting back and forth between the class and Richard, who is post-coitus with Katrina. Shacked up. And y'all, her mind is blown. By his Ventimiglia. Exactly. You know, like that tweet, Venti is in his name. (laughs) You know, the topic in class is classic. It's sex versus love. And this is, of course, being showcased by Katrina and Richard. I, I, I have to say it, like, they stay recycling topics in this class yeah again and again I I just don't feel like Macklin really has a lot of original thoughts no no he doesn't right period that's there's no more discussion on that topic um 
So clearly Richard has feelings. Right. For Katrina. Strong ones. Um, and she may or may not be using him as a human dildo. Right. Right. Understandable. Um, so that's the beginning of their arc. He does ask her to go to an OAR concert. And she agrees to consider it. Which is not a band that I previously had heard of. I I guess they were huge in 2006. They were huge in the 2006 college scene. I have listened to one OAR song, I believe featuring Natasha Bedingfield. But it could also be Lifehouse featuring Natasha Bedingfield. So you're not sure which artist made that song. What's the name of the song? Something about raindrops. Do you want to Google it, or is it not that important okay. to you? Okay, hold on. Hold on. Do you mind doing that while I pee? Yeah. Did you get answers? I did. Is it an OAR song? So, the Lifehouse, the, the song I was thinking about featuring Natasha Bedingfield, is a Lifehouse song. Okay. But the song that I do know that I've listened to them is called... In the Element, or By the Element. It's a song that I really liked in high school. It's a song that I'd probably be more embarrassed to show you, someone with maybe, like, someone with elevated taste. I love that you're saying that on record. Mm -hmm. I know who I am, and I know who you are. OAR stands for Of a Revolution. That's what I have now learned. And anyway, they were huge. Yeah. So Richard invites... Katrina to this OER concert and she, you know, gives like a roundabout maybe. In class, Lee thinks that love transcends sex. Cool. Owen sees sex as a gateway to love. Can be. <laughs> sure. Sometimes it's just once again, like, I think about this class, I think about the lack of reading, I think about the lack of interesting discussion. I think about the fact that each of their video diaries are 30 seconds long. (laughs) The lack of complex thought happening in this space. (sighs) Somebody get these kids an education. (laughs) Just imagine how much they're paying for this New York City liberal arts college. I mean, this is like a $60,000 a year school. Definitely. After class, Owen asks Lee, who is apparently a romantic, now yeah for advice um because owen doesn't know you know how to how to get his nicholas sparks on you know he has a set bar routine which involves telling girls that he's interested in that he once saved a boy from drowning right owen is a freshman yes owen is 19 yes he's not even legally allowed to drink in this bar yeah has a fake id whatever how does he have a set bar routine I guess we're just establishing that, like, he had a fake ID for all of high school. Those kids exist, right? We were just not those kids. Right. So you and I, I mean, I drank a little bit in high school, but you and I were not, like, partying. We didn't have the fake IDs. We weren't at bars. I guess, you know, we just don't understand his personal lived experience. Lee suggests that Owen take Natalie dancing. And we get this amazing line, which Owen says, only gays and people from Jersey go dancing. (laughs) Which sent Roberto and I into a spiral because (laughs) I wanted to argue with that. But then I tried to think about it and I was like, do we know any straight people that like to dance? Like, do we go dancing with straight people? Not really very often. Margot likes dancing. Yeah. So we just named two. Okay. Rachel, my sister. Loves a 
dance. We okay, so straight people dance, and straight none of those people, people are from love Jersey. to dance. But we did. We were like, wait, <laughs> is well, he I, right? I like that. I I feel like our spiral was first. Like, do we know straight people? One, <laughs> do those straight people like to dance? And are they from Jersey? <laughs> uh, I don't really know anybody from Jersey, do you? Um, no. Not that I know of. Sorry. Anyway. Lee is bitter that he was assigned a 25-page uh, art history essay. I love... And that he has to work, too. Because he's never had to write a paper before. Well... So, so Lee has to write this 25-page paper. Which while, is long for freshman year. While also like. looking for a job because he's a father-to-be and yeah. wants to, you know, support his girlfriend and child. And this storyline is coupled with Zoe, who is also on the job hunt. Yeah. And she cracks a joke about being a housekeeper, which t- I just, like, watched that and was like, the writer wants us to know, you know, like... This is a Latina and we're not going to make her a housekeeper. Like, it was just like a weird joke to me. Where they were like, look at how big we are for not giving her a housekeeping job. Right. When it would actually, like, be okay. Right. She had a housekeeping job. I I would say that people are not furious. I mean, we would like to see Latin people in other roles other than housekeepers, right? But I think it's, it's the depth of the character and, and, and showing different facets and, and, and multiple members of the Latinx community and in different various jobs. And anyway, this specific storyline had me like particularly irritated feels just, I think all the characters are relatively underdeveloped, right? Like there's, there's so many of them. The focus is like Mm -hmm. on their kind of shallow romantic interests, whatever. But I think it was highlighted in these two characters. So, in the first episode, they establish, you know, these two are scholarship kids. They commute to school. Like, they do not have the same background as the rest of the characters going to this, like, private liberal arts college, right? Yeah. It was bizarre to me that they seemed so... Like, their eyes were opening for the first time and were like, wow, this is about to be hard. Kind of like... when you know from your personal lived experience, right, that they would already know life was hard before getting to this liberal arts college. And I mean, we don't know exactly where their background, what their background is, right? But, but even in high school, they like, had jobs before. I didn't have to, I, I didn't work in high school. But that didn't mean that I wasn't prepared for the reality of what yeah. my life would be, which yeah. was working three part-time jobs in a full course load, right? Yeah. And after that, like, it was not a surprise to me. Yeah. It was it was harder physically on me than than anticipated. But yeah. it was just, like, just a, a bizarre, yeah. like, thing to watch these characters kind yeah. of navigate and this story. It, see, it seemed like... Oh, we have to give him a storyline this episode. I guess, like, you know, Lee's better that he has to work. Yeah. I did work in high school, and it's not like I, you know, had to, right. to, like, contribute to my family or anything. I just had a summer job, and then during the school year, like, on the weekends, I would work a little bit. Like, yeah, that was just life. So when I got it, when I had to work in college... 
I don't, it just didn't come out of left field. Yeah. Having to have a job while in college right. didn't come out of left field. That doesn't mean it isn't difficult and like something that they have every right to be frustrated about. Right. No, it definitely. Just, they just seemed so surprised. That's what it is. Surprised. It's that they in were a way surprised. That's like, what? Okay. Interesting. If anything, they could have made like the other basically like the white characters, they could have made them yeah. surprised, like, oh, you have to work? Because that would be more accurate. Right. Is like, oh, the you know, the, the liberal arts kids who don't have to work, who are just have their way through college paid for, being surprised that like you have other responsibilities right. and other things that you have to do. And they're the only two cast members that do have a job. Yeah. In the whole, <laughs> in the whole cast. In the whole cast. Yeah. So it was just a lot of, it, it just seems like A plus B, you know, wasn't adding up. And Does Zoe end up getting a job? I don't. I yeah, she does. Okay. Um, Lee hates his job, as we have mentioned. As a barista. As a barista. Because he's bad at it. He is bad at it. And there's a folk singer in the dining hall who cracks a joke at Lee's expense. Um, and this enrages Lee to the point of taking the guitar and smashing it. This blew my mind because there are no follow-up consequences for the fact that he storms out from behind the coffee bar, walks across the dining hall onto the stage, grabs the guitar out of the performer's hand and smashes his guitar. That's, That's really bad behavior, right? That could ultimately cost him a lot of money to replace this guy's guitar. Correct. And tons of people witnessed him doing this. And Correct. there's no follow-up consequences or anything else with this plot line after that, like, erratic, violent behavior. I think w- what gets to me is, whereas maybe Zoe and Lee and their storylines feel like, I, I mean, I guess they are they feel more personal to me, like, the way they have to navigate their lives in this school. Yeah. Their storylines seem more grounded, um, or just, like, they would have more consequences. Yeah. You know, with Lee expecting a child and, and yeah. them, like, struggling, looking for job in or- jobs in order to pay for school. Yeah. As opposed to the more, maybe, like, frivolous storylines. Yeah. That I mean, the I think that... characters get. I think that that just plays into the kind of surface level nature of this show. Like, they're not... Because it is an ensemble cast. I've, I've said, like, it feels more like a sitcom to me than, like, a real hour-long drama. Because, although it's not funny, um, it... It just seems to, like, glaze over and kind of, like, casually bounce through plot lines as opposed to, like, giving us real thorough drama. They're really highlighting love triangles. Or at this point, they're everyone is, you know, is, is a member of some kind of love square triangle that we don't really care about. And yeah. also weird, like, college politics. Yeah. As opposed to giving these characters. Yeah. yeah. Depth. Zoe sits down to record her video diary Yeah. Um, after her, her chats with Lee and delivers one of the most iconic lines of the series. Mm. She turns to the camera, dead a serious expression, and says, With sex, you need a condom and a good pair of running shoes. With love, you need diapers and a bulletproof vest. <laughs> Baby what girl, what are you talking about? <laughs> what is anybody ever fucking talking about on the show? They just have so many, like, quote-unquote, profound one-liners that... Make no sense. Have no meaning. Well, she she's clearly has a lot of feelings for Lee and yeah. is upset about, you know, the fact that they kind he of can't... can't. He can't reciprocate these feelings because his girlfriend is pregnant and he wants to be with her. Right. Um, and Zoe is having her own 
crisis is. Crises. In very specific relationship with sex. Yeah. You know, so. Professor Jake approaches Katrina, and he also invites her to the OAR concert. And she agrees to go with him. Like, immediately. Yeah. After telling Richard that she, like, props wouldn't. I don't know exactly what she sees in Professor Macklin. I mean, he's full on her ex-husband, so, like, they have a history. So I feel like that's what she sees in him, is their history. Do you get, like, a lot of history when you see them? Do like, I catch a vibe? Do you catch a vibe? No. <laughs> no. I mean, I I sense that that's what they want us to right. experience. But I did I did think it was bold of her to agree to go to a concert with her ex-husband that she knows the guy she's currently dating is going to be at. They have her make a lot of these kind of... Questionable choices. Questionable choices. But her response always... I think this is coming from the actress, so sincere. Yeah. Kind of just like, I didn't mean to hurt anyone. She's played as so sincere and sweet, but her behavior is like she is a player. For sure. Sarah, in this episode, informs her boo, the swimmer, Mm -hmm. that the swim team will in fact get funding to go to Berlin. I also just noted um, that he has a great body. As swimmers do. Finally some accuracy on the show. (laughs) Well, it just seems to me like they have nothing to talk about, nothing really in common, and she has no reason to actually like him. But, you know, we get some shirtless moments from him. And then you understand. And then I get it. We have, we're, we went on such a journey with Sarah. We really these did. Four episodes that we're recapping on now. Like, the, you're just going to see us go through shit with her because we were so on board with her and sh- things changed. There's a gratuitous shot of Sarah putting on a shirt to answer the door. Yeah, an unnecessary topless shot. The entire scene is her telling Owen that she disapproves of his and Natalie's relationship. She disapproves so vehemently and it's like, We why? didn't ask. Why we didn't ask do you this. have such strong feelings about this? Like, she just, like, really hates Natalie, I guess. She is Because framing... Natalie meant, like, has a history of attempting suicide. She's framing it as being very concerned as a big sister, wanting her little brother to have a fun, breezy freshman year. And, yeah. and feeling that maybe Natalie is just, like, too heavy. Which is not how college works. And freshman year isn't fun and breezy. And... She just clearly doesn't think Owen is mature enough to date somebody who has lived, you know, a life. Right. Later, Sarah is visited by Professor Dixon, who announces that he is still in love with Sarah. But, of course, he's still married. You know, last we heard him and his wife were, like, trying to get back together, right? No, then they broke it off again. Then they broke off. So they, they are getting a divorce. Like, that's been established. And he says, marriage is your wife's hair in the sink. That's the only line I wrote down because (laughs) I thought it was really funny. I mean, you and I aren't married and your hair's in the sink all the time. It's true. So You're not my fucking wife. To to stay on this Sarah train, just to wrap up her story. As if. (sighs) Literally. Sarah's boo comes over again. Actually, no, he spent the night, so it's the it's the morning of. Yeah. He is just in his underwear. Right. I believe they're gray boxer briefs. Cool. He looks great. I think he's eating cereal, if I remember correctly. Iconic. Sarah realizes that she's just not happy with him. Yeah. Whether that be, you know, her response to being told 
that a man is still in love with her. Or, you know, you and I know that she and Richard have a vibe. Yeah. Whatever it is, she realizes that she is just not happy with whatever his name is and compares their relationship to an overplayed song. You know, you like it at first and then it annoys you. Well, she she says this without introducing to him that it's about the relationship. She's Correct. Like, you know when, you know, you really like a song, but then you play it too much and it becomes annoying. Right. He doesn't catch on immediately. No. Because um, why Because how? Why would he? Because he wouldn't expect her to be so fucking cold. But then he was really chill about it. He's like, oh, I'm the song. Um, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. Like, he seemed like he was a little bit hurt. I, I thought he was hurt. That's just such a cold way to break up with someone that I feel like he had to respond with a level of, like, detachment. Right. Because he was clearly getting dumped by someone who didn't care about him at all. So at that point, it's like, why would I show vulnerability and give emotion in this right now? You know? And then the scene ends with Sarah's video diary in which she kind of just is like, yeah, I'm over him. I mean, you never liked him. So with Richard's help, Zoe is able to get a job as an editor for the paper. And to celebrate her win, she kisses her interviewee, who is a gay man. This is not the first time that Zoe... um, maybe gives attention, unwanted attention towards a man. She's, she's a sexual girl. Obviously this, this is like, she, she's basically, she's amazing at copy editing. Yeah. She didn't know that. And she's kind of discovering how amazing she's at copy editing. So this guy gives her the, she has a passion for punctuation. Yes. He gives her this job. Um, and then she, um, and, but he's like, first of all, stop flirting with me. But, you know, you have the job. And then she's so overcome with excitement that she has this job that she kisses him on the mouth, which is assault. Well, at starting, I feel like this episode on, it just shows a lot of instances of what I would maybe consider manic behavior from Zoe. Manic behavior. <laughs> she's erratic. She is erratic. I mean, she's she does, she does some out-of-pocket things. I mean, we've already heard her say phrases like darts is life. Yeah. So we know she's a little quirky, but um, yeah, kissing this guy on the mouth after he directly told her to stop flirting with him. I didn't like it. No. But happy for her that she got this copy editing job. Richard invites Natalie to OAR because he just needs someone to go with. Yeah. Um, She really wants to go, but she can't because she has her date with Owen. Yeah. And in his video diary... Richard kind of, you know, this is the first window into their relationship. You know, it's been hinted at. It's it's a bit mysterious. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says that being with Natalie was a beautiful blur. You know, he finally understood what all those love songs were about. But he also felt out of control. We know that their relationship culminated in her suicide attempt and also led him down the path of realizing he needed to get sober. Um, I do, I I guess the beautiful blur probably refers to the fact that he was drinking and doing a lot of drugs at the time. Right. But I think it just kind of illustrates the depth of the show that all they can say about the relationship is that it was a blur. Yes. But for me, because now that we are starting to hate Sarah. Yeah. This is once again, I called it, you know, our last episode. I mean, I wasn't starting to hate Sarah yet at this point. Natalie and Richard are. 
They're kind of endgame. They're yeah. low-key endgame. Yeah. Owen and Natalie go on a cute date. You know, he pays a student $100 to sneak them into the school's observatory mm-hmm. that he's decorated. Um, it's romantic. They look at some stars. There's not much happening. It was a cute date. Like, I'm glad he, like, did something creative by bringing her to the observatory to show her the 10th planet. And then they get stuck on the roof. And Owen is upset. But Natalie says, two plus two equals four. But when two plus two equals five, it's even more wonderful. (laughs) I truly, we had to pause because we were so, I, I mean, to this day, I'm confused. I don't, I mean, I don't understand. I do not get the metaphor or whatever she's trying to illustrate here. But you know what? I guess magic or things not going the way you expect them to go. That's what she means. I will take nonsensical Bedford Diaries dialogue over kind of dull, uninspired, beautiful life dialogue. I, I do like just the amount of utter nonsense that comes out of the character's <laughs> yeah. mouth on this show. I wish I had the patience and the wherewithal to write down more lines of dialogue because they're just, there's just a lot of those little gems of who wrote this and why. I mean, maybe it was the WB saying, you know, give us felicity, but with more sex and more characters. And more profound dialogue. And also just like throw in some Gilmore Girls-esque dialogue. And this is kind of what but they... Gilmore Girls is quirky and like references, cultural references. Right. This show is is sort of weird platitudes that mean nothing. Mm-hmm. Like a bachelor date. Yeah, like a bachelor date. Like mm-hmm. that like kind of... Saying a lot without level saying anything. Sort of like trying to be interesting and profound and meaningful while actually just being blather. Natalie and Owen start making out. Um, You know, just like, fine, we're up here on this roof. I guess we can get freaky. But the door opens and they're released and it prompts Natalie's video diary where she admits that she doesn't really know if she's ready for love. She's horny. She wants some of that pen. But... She doesn't know if emotionally... So Penn Batchley. Exactly. Richard, now having been turned down twice, yeah, invites <laughs> Sarah... Settles for his third choice. To the OAR concert. Which I think really illustrates their relationship. <laughs> and she agrees. But they do have vibes. They though. have vibes, but like she was his third choice. Yeah. At the concert, he sees Macklin and Katrina. And which, again, like Katrina didn't tell him she was going to go with her ex-husband. Girl, what are you doing? You're playing games. Games. Someone needs to contact the ethics committee. (laughs) Is all I'm saying. Katrina admits that part of her attraction to Richard is how lonely he seems. (laughs) (laughs) No! Girl, you cannot be saying that shit out loud. What you're saying is you want to fix him or you want to be needed like if you're attracted to someone specifically because of their sad and loneliness typically means you it's because you want to fill that void for them and that's just going to create a codependent inappropriate and unhealthy relationship and that's exactly what they have yeah oh i also note that at the bar sarah orders whatever wine doesn't come out of a box and from this moment on i was done with her because as y'all know, boxed wine is my Bible. I've been trying to, I've been 
when, when I, for the two weeks that I was employed or the three weeks that I was working last month, I was, you know, talking about box wine with my coworkers and they were like, ugh, box wine? Okay, bouge, we all work in the same place. So yeah. I don't know why you're out here ask, acting like you're better than me. Um, but box wine, I don't, I don't love wine. So I'm not a wino to begin with. Yeah. So box wine to me is equal to any other type of wine, you know, because I don't give a fuck about wine. It's just a, you know, a way to drink alcohol. For me, I, I enjoy wine. I also don't have standards for wine. No. I enjoy. We can't afford to have them. <laughs> Guys, it's August 16th and we have to be out of our apartment at the end of the month and we have nowhere to go. We can't be telling. We, we have not been approved for an apartment yet. We have to move out in two weeks. And me and Abby are trying to be adults and not share a room or bed. And this is the universe have laughing we, at have us. Have we said that we share a full-on bed? Because I thought maybe I was hiding that. I mean, people knew that we were sharing an air mattress, I feel like. Yeah. They knew that we sh- that slept on an anyway, air mattress for four months. We're getting our own rooms. Like, this is important to us because we want to commit to an apartment for more, more than one year. And, you know, contrary to our behavior, we are, in fact, adults. And we need to have our personal space. I would love to have my personal space. You know, I love you. but To think about Justin Long. Well. Amongst other people. Sure. Um <laughs> <laughs> Can neither confirm nor deny. But, um, yeah, it's not going well. It's not going well. It's not going badly. I mean, we've been approved for two um, hideous, <laughs> horrid apartments. And the you next know, time really we record, we may be going live from one of them. Yeah, from one of those fucking with the wall-to-wall carpet. and the, Oh, my God. But not cute. Not, oh, God. It's like, what is under Guys, that elevator we're not, platform? And, and when we say we're scraping the bottom of the barrel, like, we're not being cute. No. We're being serious. Like, we really are scraping the bottom of the barrel. We have low standards, but, like, it's, yeah, it's been tough. It's been tough. It will only inform our comedy. I think we're going to get approved for one of these places that we actually like tomorrow. I just think it's going to happen. Because she said by Monday we'd hear back, and Monday's tomorrow, and I just have high hopes. We'll check back in with you guys. Look, all that to say is I don't care where the wine comes from, and I enjoy how hilarious the concept of boxed wine is. It makes me happy. Yeah. Look, everybody needs to slap the bag every once in a while. Exactly. After this, the episode cuts off. As we mentioned earlier. I do believe it's probably for copyright reasons. Because Um, of the OAR performance. We cannot, you know, that that uploader could not, didn't want to be taken down because of OAR. They're huge, maybe. Yeah. But, you know, what we got out of that episode, out of that scene was that Richard was very, he was trying to talk to Sarah, but he was extremely distracted by Katrina and Macklin, who were a couple rows in front of them. And through the next episodes previously on, we do know that this episode, episode five, does end with Owen and Natalie doing the Copulating. Yes. Getting it on, going to Pound Town. Oh, Pound Town. The motion of the ocean. (laughs) I was just thinking about a waterbed now and thinking about Cornelia. We miss you. Episode six. Episode six is called The Passion of the Beaver, which is not 
actually what they cover in the episode. I mean, I obviously, I obviously associate the beaver with the vagina. Right. This is a common slang term. They don't really touch on that. I was hoping that, you know, there was going to be a little bit more female pleasure, a little more vaginal stimulation in this episode. Um, You're asking for too goddamn much. I really am asking for too much. So we you know we have to go into all of these shows with subterranean expectations. Frankly, I no thought, expectations. I mean, I thought it was going to be about, like, the power of the beaver. Because the episode op- opens with Owen and Natalie. This was honestly a hilarious scene. So at the hospital where they work, where they work for their intro to biology class. And we, we find out that... <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're delivering a baby. Yes. You heard me right. So this... Um, I, we find out that this hospital is an outreach clinic. So it's a clinic run by the college that serves the community of New York where the It has one is. doctor. <laughs> I Yeah. It's small, but it serves uninsured patients. Um, and it's like, a, it's just a really cool clinic um, where freshman biology students deliver babies in the hallway. So that's what's happening at the beginning of this scene. Owen and Natalie are having a huge bonding moment because they are literally delivering a baby. There's like another nurse with them as well, but it's like Natalie, a nurse and Owen and Owen is like holding the woman's hand and Natalie's, you know, at the end, there's the one doctor. There's the the one doctor. Um, and Owen is talking to the, pregnant woman the woman who's giving birth in fluent spanish yes and there's a quite a there's quite a little bit of him speaking spanish in this scene so we're just establishing that he's fluent in spanish which is cool um and that you know he's delivering a baby um but this this is an important scene because it establishes the value of the outreach clinic and we find out um with a conversation that natalie and owen have with the one single doctor that bedford college is trying to shut down the outreach clinic this clinic has existed for years it's an amazing contribution that the college has made to the community but because they give out free medical service to uninsured patients it's costing the college too much money and they are trying to pull the plug completely on the entire clinic well they want to direct those they want to reallocate the budget but we don't know that yet okay um so then we go to class and, you know, the topic of the class this week, of course, is passion. Bold, amazing. Yes, passion. I just um, want to take a moment to think about some of these past topics. Yeah. Sex versus love. Yes. Passion. Manipulation. Manipulation. Sexual, sexual responsibility. responsibility. Sexual secrets. Those are all the topics that have been covered so far. Guys, pray. Pray for these kids. Pray for these students. Pray for these fictional students. I just want them to get their money's worth. And it seems like in Lee's art history class, where he's required to write a 25-page paper, Mm -hmm. he's probably getting his money's worth. And in Owen's class, where he's doing intro to biology, and that just requires that he work at a hospital. um, And deliver. Deliver babies. Babies. Perhaps he is getting his money's worth. But it just seems like Macklin is wasting some tuition dollars. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the class probably costs, like, $4,000. So I just, I, I want to see him, you know, putting their money to better use. 
Um, but they're talking about passion. He got porn stars to join the acapella group, okay? Yeah. Cool. I'm sure that cost him a couple of dollars. <laughs> so, um, I, I didn't write down a lot of the conversation because it was complete and utter nonsense. <laughs> but it does inspire Zoe. So then we see Zoe after class still running down the hallway where she approaches several random strangers and kisses them upon the mouth. We saw her do this in the last episode. We weren't super comfortable with it. It continues to be uncomfortable. One of the people that she randomly goes up to and kisses is Richard. There are no vibes between the two of them. and he, But he doesn't seem too bothered by the kiss. Um, and she also... It, it, it culminates in her kissing this guy, Chris, that we see that she apparently has some kind of He history. has a name? It's Chris. We see that she has some kind of history with this guy, Chris, because out of all of the kisses, that was the only kiss that she felt excited any passion in her. Um, so Professor Macklin invites Katrina to have lunch with him. She can only give him an hour um, and she doesn't want it to be fancy. She has urban planning studies. Exactly. So they decide that, you know, she's just going to come to his office for an hour long lunch. Things are Things are kind of heating up between the two of them. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. rekindling. Uh, you know, it's unclear when they divorced and how long they've been divorced. It's unclear. How long they were married. How long they were married. When they were married. The, their past is blurry. And it just, it seems kind of like, okay, if he's trying to win her back now and there's not contention between the two of them, then I guess they've been divorced for quite a while. It's not like super fresh. I don't know a lot about marriage or divorce, um, but I, I I guess it's been over a year since they split up. I mean, they just paint Katrina as this very, again, sincere, but Easy also going. free spirit. You know, yeah. she was with an older man. She got to travel the world. She married Macklin. She divorced him. She's into urban planning. And now she's dating a younger Dating guy. a hot young thing. Yeah. I mean, it seems like she left Macklin because he was too focused on his work, which... What has changed? I mean, we hate that cliche because it's not that many wives are really that pissed off that their husbands have jobs. But like, okay. please leave. Um, so Natalie says in her video diary that this scene, this scene had me rolling my eyes. She is devastated about the clinic. Um, devastated. She's really devastated because she says that the clinic is the only place where she fits in. And selfishly, she wants to save it because it centers her to be there. Not because she cares about the community. Yeah. I mean, maybe she does, but her main motivation is that, like, she just fits in, apparently, at this hospital. And it just gives her purpose and makes her feel centered and calm to be amongst um, the suffering, the sick, and the injured. (laughs) Um, Lee begins online gambling. Yes. Due to the influence of Owen's roommate, um, he discovers online gambling. And we know from the previous episode, he hates his job as a barista. Um, We're assuming he got fired for shattering that guy's guitar. Right. Right. That's kind of safe to assume. So he needs fast cash to pay for college and to support his girlfriend and child-to-be. I will say, not to spoil the rest of the episode, but I am surprised that Lee's gambling... It's not a single episode arc. It's not. It does It does get carried on through a couple episodes. Is that because he's probably barely in this episode? 
Maybe. Yes, I actually don't think he's really in that much more of this episode. I mean, he doesn't have a lot to do besides gamble. That's his main focus. But we know that he has this 25-page paper to write, and it's an ongoing plot point from here on out that he's neglecting the paper in order to spend his time gambling online. And the online gambling quickly takes over his life. Cribs are expensive. Right. So he doesn't write this 25-page art history paper. Zoe begins hooking up with her old flame, Chris. And um, I thought he was new. Well, it, it just seems like they know each other and they had vibes. Because when she kisses him, he doesn't really seem shocked. Obviously, we know I don't think she, anyone was shocked, though. I, I, I don't know. I, I got the sense that they were at least had like hooked up previously. Okay. Right. Um, and like we know that she likes to hook up with lots of different people. So it's not unheard of that she would have hooked up with this guy before. Um. But she's motivated to hook up with him because she's questioning her own passion. She says in her video diary that she's passionate about everything. She's passionate about copy editing. Mm-hmm. She's passionate about other stuff. Um, darts. Darts. She's passionate about darts. <laughs> um, she's passionate about boys. Um, she's passionate about Lee. She's passionate about... Other things. She's passionate about everything. And she feels that because she's so passionate about everything, does that mean that she's passionate about nothing? If you're so manic, if you're so passionate and fiery about everything in your life, then does that mean you lack that one true singular passion? Um, And Macklin watches the video, Professor Macklin, and he finds it really profound, as these characters tend to find things that aren't. (laughs) Um, and he wants to show the clip in class. Um, and she's like, really? Like, you see something in this? Well, I, I, I imagine that he, he just sees it as a nice point of discussion. He just loves her radical vulnerability. And we know that he's her mentor. Yes. And, you know, she's just so honest in his video <laughs> diaries. And it was scary for her to admit that, you know, she thinks that she lacks passion because she has so much of it. Owen and Natalie um, are upset about the clinic. Owen, not as much, but Natalie's very upset about the clinic. And her passion about this project is very inspiring to Owen below the belt. He loves seeing Natalie get so fired up about something. It's really put a kick, a little boost into their relationship to have them get to have this shared, you know, crisis. So... They decide to visit the the woman who is the head of the ethics department. Do you know where her name is? Carla. Carla. So she is the professor that heads the ethics committee. And they ask her how she can how they can save the clinic. And as it turns out, she's already been trying really hard to save the clinic. And the board is not listening to her at all. And it's just been a dead end. I just think that this could have been a wonderful source of conflict and discussion they have lee and zoe who we know are local to the area are part of that community yeah could have been somehow emotionally impacted by the clinic and instead it's just like a girl who likes to hang out there because it makes her feel nice and this like guy who it makes her feel like her life has purpose i guess yeah this guy who's just in a because his girlfriend is really into it. he wants to fuck Natalie. Yeah. So this scene is fun, though, because it does lead to another one of our favorite little profound one-liners that this show gets to serve up for us. But 
They ask Carla, how can they get the student body to care? Because people are so passive these days, you know, people seem so apathetic. But they want the student body to get fired up about the community and to care about the community losing their free health care. And they ask her, how can they make this happen? And Carla... Most of them are probably really wealthy (laughs) going to this liberal arts college. Yeah. You You can afford insurance. How can we get, you know, these rich, privileged liberal arts students to care about this clinic? And Carla says, shoes. (laughs) You heard me. I was rocked. Shoes. Shoes. So Roberto and I are confused. (laughs) Um, Okay. And then she says... Get a size 10 to walk around and a size 7 for a whole day, and they'll start paying attention, especially if they're high heels. And this is extremely striking to Owen and Natalie. That's not helpful in the least. We we understand that what she's saying here is, you know, get them to experience suffering and to understand the suffering of another, and then they'll care. That makes, that makes sense, right? You know, walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Right. That's an expression. And so that's what she's getting at. But it does not play into the rest of the episode or their strategy for saving the clinic at all. Correct. Because they don't get any students to experience what it's like to be uninsured. Like, the, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense with actually how they're going to go about saving the clinic. Do you know one student who probably does get it? Kristen Ritter. With her because constant she, tummy aches. Because she loves going to the clinic. I mean, it seems like this clinic specifically serves the student body as well as the local community. Yeah. And they accept patients without insurance. And it seems like it's free or very inexpensive healthcare that they're offering. So, you know, she she makes this metaphor about shoes. It goes nowhere. It changes no lives. It rocks no one in the show or in the audience. But it made me laugh. It did put a smile on my face. So Richard once again goes out on a limb to invite Katrina to something because, you know, she decided to go to the OAR concert with her ex-husband instead of him. But they're still dating. And he invites her to a party that his father is hosting. And his father's a big deal in New York. He's rich. He's connected. And there's going to be a lot of big names at this party. And obviously, Katrina wants to work in urban planning. So meeting, um, you know, New York City bigwigs would be really helpful for her. So we also see Owen have a private phone call with his father. And I guess he, he doesn't have a great relationship with his dad. They don't really get along. And he doesn't like asking his dad for things. But he asks his dad to invite certain um, city government officials and certain bigwigs to this party. Um, Of course, specifically because he wants to impress Katrina and he wants to introduce Katrina to these people. He wants to, you know, make these connections for her, kind of prove his worth. I don't want to interrupt you. I interrupt you constantly. Your hair just looks so fabulous. Thank you. You know what? It's really soft and clean. Yeah. Because I washed it. And there's no product in it. So it's just feeling really healthy. Um, I hate the color. Um, I know you you do. I would like a little bit of a better shape. But thank you. It feels nice too. Do you want to feel it? I'm not getting up. Well, I was going to bring it to you. Oh, bring it to me. Do you want to feel it? Doesn't it feel nice? Yes. Yeah. Strong. It's well it is. It's healthy. It's healthy hair. <laughs> what can I say? Um, I take care of it. I do condition. Okay, so 
Um, we get the scene, you know, uh, Natalie agrees to come to the party. And by Natalie, I mean Katrina. Katrina agrees to come to the party. Then we get Owen's video diary, you know, his 30 second fucking video diary that's somehow getting him to pass this class um, where he says that he's passionate about Natalie. That's ah! right. He is very passionate about Natalie. I mean, we'll see in the next couple episodes that he's a very jealous and obsessive guy. Um, I don't think he's really been this way before. You know, before his relationship's really just about sex. But... Olive. Yeah. R.I.P. wherever she may be. Right. But Natalie is really special to him. And he's passionate about her. And he's so passionate about her passion. So when he sees her getting all riled up about the clinic, it just really fucking turns him on. Um, and they do hook up after after talking to each other about how they're going to save the clinic. They both get really excited. And it leads to more copulation. Um, another little subplot that we get from, um, a student council meeting, um, is that the mascot, the school mascot, the is beaver a, is a beaver. Great. Finally, we're bringing it home with a little beaver action, a little beaver plot line. The guy that's <laughs> the guy that Zoe's hooking up with Chris, he's, I guess, on a sports team. So he has something to do with this mascot. And I don't know why the mascot, like, got fired or quit or something, but they just need a new person to wear the beaver suit. And Zoe, surprisingly, is really excited. She has school spirit. She has a lot of school spirit, which she hasn't really shown before, but she's really proud to be at Bedford. It was the only college she ever wanted to go to. I have never had school spirit and, in fact, did not know that the Emerson mascot was a lion until my senior year. It's fine. It's fine. Never change. Um, <laughs> so she likes the the mascot. She thinks it's brave and so crazy and cool that someone would wear, you know, a furry suit and go out and dance wildly because of school spirit. I did. Growing up in Orlando, there was, and being in theater, there was a lot of people who wanted to audition for Disney to play the face characters. Mm-hmm. My... I had, I had a friend who wanted to, like, audition to be, like, Alice slash Wendy. And, of course, I would be an amazing Aladdin. Alice slash Wendy? Yes. Because she wasn't tall enough to be one of the real princesses. So she either Alice from Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. And they, they play multiple characters. Or Wendy from Peter Pan. Yeah. Like, you I have think, to be tall to be one of the main princesses? But you have to be, like, a certain height. Because, I like, Snow White also plays Elsa, I think. Um, Random. But I... Of course, my, I'm not a tall man. I think you would be a gorgeous Aladdin. Thank you, but I'm not tall enough. So I was like, should I audition to be a fur character? And did you? No. That's the end of my story. Interesting. <laughs> um, I wish you had done it, to be honest. But I don't know if you'd even be tall enough because I feel like the fur characters are huge. Yeah, I guess. Not to like bring it up again. No, but, it's okay. You know, you're not super tall. I just feel I just like feel I could have like... maybe been like a chipmunk. I just feel like the chipmunks are fucking huge at Disney, aren't they? I don't know. Maybe. I wish that they would just let you be Aladdin like you fucking deserve. Thank you. Um, Zoe wants to be the beaver. She's passionate. She's passionate. She's get, she's Look, she's exploring stuff because she wants to find her true passion. Has the spooning thing come up yet? That's in the next episode. Is it? Yeah. I'm so excited to get to it. Uh, I mean, that you took notes on it, right? So that's your episode. Um, Zoe wants to be the beaver. 
But ironically, they've never had a female beaver before. And so these boys are trying to gatekeep. They don't want her to be the beaver because she's a girl. And one of them was is the ex. One of them. Sexy so? Sadie. Oh, one of the guys that's gatekeeping happens to be the, the guy who was Sexy Sadie. And I don't think that's important, but. It... Well, she got him fired. Oh, he's pissed at her. Yeah. Right. Because she low-key got him fired. Cool. Whatever. But she goes to, like, the dean and tells the dean all about how much school spirit she has and how sexist it is that the school is not letting her show her school spirit by getting to audition to be the beaver. And they do allow her to audition. Now, we find out um, that the reason that, you know, at the same... um, student council, whatever meeting, we find out that Bedford wants to get rid of the clinic because they need to reallocate that budget for increased campus security. Basically more oink oink cops on campus. Not ever before has this, sorry, I'm getting a phone call. Anya is calling me. Should we answer? Yeah. Hold on. This is so exciting, y'all. Should I put her on speaker? I mean, what if she's like crying or something? Hello? Anya, is this a private conversation? We're in the midst of recording right now. Say hi to our dearly departed family. (gasps) No! I don't want this to be my first appearance on the pod. Too late. What's up? (laughs) Hi, (laughs) whores. Jesus Christ. Listen to the girls who cried be horror. Yeah, I I just called to plug my own podcast during your podcast. (laughs) What's up? At the girls who cried be horror on Instagram. Follow us, sluts. <laughs> but really, what's going on? Um, no, I was just calling because I missed the sound of your voices. That Aww. was Well, I'll call you back once we're done recording. Okay, bye, Drew Departed fans. Uh, we're talking about the budget and the police on campus. Oh, they just haven't mentioned before that there was, like, a crime wave on yeah, campus. Yeah, so there's apparently, like, a mugging problem on campus and, and girls getting, like, fucked with and stuff which you know is a valid concern um owen and natalie go to sarah because obviously sarah's sga president and they want to get her on their side because they don't have the board support but they need her support for the clinic it's really important to them but i was surprised to find out she doesn't support the clinic no she doesn't and they don't get super into why in this episode but it is something that we're going to get deeper into. And, you know, she's a disappointing person. <laughs> she's a disappointing person. Um, so she says to them that she agrees that the budget should go to campus security. You know, on my end, I'm just thinking, like, maybe they could take the budget from somewhere else. The swim team who's going <laughs> to Berlin. Yeah. And give that to campus security instead of having to close down a whole ass community hospital. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, and then, it just seems like those are both essentials. Well, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, then a big chunk gets cut out. But I think during that chunk, we are also, we see the relationship between Sarah and Owen become really tense. Because, of course, first of all, she doesn't approve of this relationship. She doesn't care about the hospital. So... And Owen is very fiery about this topic. Because of his dedication to Natalie. Almost to the point of being counterproductive. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and we do ultimately realize that his dedication to the clinic is not true. And it's not helpful to the cause. It's not helpful at all. um, Sarah refuses to 
support Natalie and Owen and she refuses to help them. And she's very much like, no, I will not help. And Owen says that it's because she's a careerist and he really gets in her face. And Natalie's like, Owen, what the fuck is up with you? Why are you behaving like this? But he gets up in Sarah's face and he's like, no, this is because you're a careerist and you just want a job at Bedford after you graduate. So you're fucking kissing ass. Where's the fucking lie? Where's the lie? I mean, where's the fucking lie? You know, he thinks she's a careerist. I I just think she's a cunt. Ooh. So, um, it looks like Katrina, you know, we, we miss, it, it seems like we miss about five minutes of the episode in our, in our YouTube playlist, but I mean, we can't have missed it. Maybe there was a band at a party at the party too. Yeah. So we, we cut to the party that Katrina and Richard are at and his dad successfully invited these bigwigs and Katrina is having a really great time, um, completely ignoring Richard and just, you know rubbing elbows with these city planners and city officials and Richard is fucked off and he's not enjoying the conversations um it just kind of seems like he doesn't live up to his father's standards and his father's friends are not like crazy impressed with him and they're all just kind of snooty and Richard is over it and he doesn't want to be there um, and despite, you know, inviting Katrina there and making these connections for her, his feelings are hurt that she is so all over these connections. But it's also not paying any attention to him. Bruv, why are you surprised? She only agreed to come to this party because you said these people were coming. She didn't want to go. He's all over the place. He is. But you know what? Emotions, feelings will do this to a person. Passion? <gasps> so he is cranky and he's not fucking with his dad's vibe and he wants to leave. But Katrina refuses to leave with him. He's like, look, I'm done. I want to go. Let's go. And she's like, no, I'm having a good time and I don't want to go. And he's like, maybe the hors were really good. I mean, he's clearly like having an emotional moment and really needs to leave this party. And she is clearly not concerned about his emotional moment. And look, you know, it's nice. It's a rooftop. It yeah. And like out. she's making these amazing connections and she wants to stay. So you checking yourself out. Yeah. You look great. Thank you. Um, So she decides to stay and he leaves without her, which is apparently a huge deal. Um, So it looks like Lee is addicted to gambling. Yeah. You know, over the span of this episode, he's become addicted to gambling. We just get a little tinge of that. And right now he's on a high. He keeps winning. He's won like $6,000. So it's going well for him. Well, Richard has taught him that the key to gambling, online gambling, is just to pretend to be a woman. To play under a woman's name so that people underestimate you and don't catch your bluffs. I don't know anything about poker. I'm not going to learn. But um, Lee is apparently really good at it and he's winning big money. And that, of course, is how you get addicted to gambling is, you know, you get lured in by the money, but then shit starts to go awry. Zoe auditions to be the beaver and we don't see her audition. Maybe it was because of the YouTube issues or maybe they just didn't include it in the episode, but she has an amazing time auditioning. She has so much fun, but at the end when she doesn't win, she's unbothered. She doesn't care. She doesn't really want to be the beaver, but she's just really proud of herself for putting herself out there, for trying something new, for, you know, a win for feminism by getting them to allow her to audition in the first place. This was a great experience for her. She feels awesome. Zoe's just excited by life, by trying new things, by the little things. And Chris, you know, it's not his fault that she didn't get it. And he says, like, I'm, I'm sorry. And she was like, no, it's all good. Like, I had a great time and I feel great about it and I'm moving on. I'm sad that we possibly missed a scene. You know, audition scenes are so... 
they're everything, you know? I don't I think like, about... um, I don't like mascots. Like, they just kind of make me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I would have really cared about seeing her dressed up as a beaver. Well, I don't think they probably would have dressed up. They were probably just doing a routine of sorts. Oh, I'm sure they had to put on the beaver costume. Come <sighs> on. Should we watch Bring It On You later? have to get the real effects. You know, doing a routine outside of the beaver costume and doing a routine <laughs> in the beaver costume are completely different. Do you think that mascot who was on the season two, episode one... Um, of the Titan Games? Of the Titan Games is all right. You mean after losing the Titan Games to yeah. uh, a fireman who was five foot six? Yeah. The gladiator slash professional eater. Yeah. Um, I hope he's okay. You know, I, I send him my good thoughts and feelings, but you know what? We can't know. We can't know. Jake and Richard both are kind of on the same page that Katrina only went to Richard's party to network. Um, we see Katrina having lunch with Jake Macklin and he tells her, you know, what do you see in Richard and what's up with you? You know, I'm pretty sure you're using Richard for his connections. Like he just calls her out and they have an argument. But, you know, it just seems like Jake kind of gets who Katrina really is. And he loves her as she is. He doesn't want to change her. But he does recognize that she's playing games with Richard. And he's concerned about Richard's feelings. Because Richard is his student. And he cares deeply about his students. As a member of the ethics committee. Exactly. Jake is very concerned about the well-being of his students. And he voices Only Richard, Katrina. though. Because he doesn't seem to know about Lee's gambling addiction. But if he did know, he would really, really be concerned. Um, Katrina denies it. She does not think that she was just using Richard and that she was just out his party to make connections. And in fact, she's really insulted that Jake would make that suggestion. Zoe's back in bed with Chris and um, they have a little tete-a-tete about what she does with a spoon. Apparently she does something really crazy and sexy with a spoon that just blows his mind and he can't get enough of it. When I tell you this consumed my thoughts. Just trying what to figure out what they're doing. Doing with the spoon. Was she, you know, putting the cold metal against his nipple? Was, was she eating ass? Was she cupping his balls with a spoon? <laughs> You know, we're not Googling. Um, I don't know if we're showing our cards by revealing that we don't know about sexual things to do with a spoon. Personally, was she coating his dick with something? But he seemed to be really, you know, blown away, electrified like, by, by surprise. Like no one has ever done the spoon thing with him before. Right. Um, she has to get creative. She's not. They're not having like traditional penetration, but mm-hmm. they're definitely fooling around and getting busy. it's just another one of like similar to the porn star anecdote where it's just like what later and in the next episode he tells lee that you know him and zoe have been quote unquote spooning right but of course you know should i google that just scared of what's gonna come up hold on you know the quote unquote spooning you know we would refer to that you know that's cuddling but of course we know that they're actually doing something with a spoon what did you just Google? Sexual things to do with spoons. <laughs> but it's just telling me, like, like spooning. It's just describing... Oh, wait, hold on. Cuddling. Hold on. <laughs> hold on. Give me a second. <laughs> Are we, like, doing a sexual advice podcast? Blow his mind by bringing a spoon into the bedroom. Um, if anyone out there knows... What they could possibly Please, be referring we will to. we try to dig through our DMs and see your message. Um, <laughs> Owen, this, I just had to jot this down. He casually suggests to 
Natalie, that they get Senator Hillary Clinton to speak at Bedford College. Um, this doesn't happen. It leads to nothing. But it's just a little casual suggestion. He I makes. was hoping that this WB one season show somehow got a guest star from Hillary Clinton. <laughs> yes. Um, so. Katrina, you know, she was really denying to Jake that she's using Richard, but clearly the conversation struck something in her and helped her to realize things because she goes to visit Richard at his office um, for the bugle and he apologizes to her for leaving her at the party because he feels really bad about abandoning her and he, he feels like it was really petty and inappropriate And she's like, no, I should have gone with you. You know, we were there as dates. You brought me there. And when you left, I should have left too. Um, And they just both apologize to each other. But then she straight up tells him, look, I was using you. I was there because of the connections that you were making for me and the people that I wanted to meet. I wasn't there for you. And, you know, I'm really sorry. But that's the truth is that I was using you and it's wrong. And I feel bad about it. And Richard is not mad because he's in love with her. Correct. He says, you know, I think I'm falling in love with you and I really want you to give our relationship a chance. You know what? There's something going on between us that's just unprecedented and it's electric and it's amazing. And I want you to really jump in with me and be fully committed to exploring this relationship. I love that you're taking the time to listen to today's episode, but I would love it even more if you subscribed to Dearly Departed on your preferred listening platform. And check out our Instagram page while you're at it. That's at Dearly Departed The Pod. Drop a comment, leave us a review, but most importantly, enjoy the rest of the show. Well, we had to take a little bit of a 24-hour commercial break. (laughs) In the middle of a sentence? In the middle of a sentence, because my 11-year-old laptop did overheat a little bit. But we're back, and, you know, we're ready to... Finish the recap of the episode. What episode were we on? Episode six. I would say arguably we're in a better mood today. Well, so much. Should we (laughs) recap this and then talk later? Well, we can just mention, right, because at the beginning of the episode, we were lamenting our fears about having, you know, no housing. Right. And it's no longer the case. You know, during commercial break, (gasps) we... Fucking locked it down and we're signing the lease this week. So yeah, we're moving. We're really excited. Just a reminder to always stay positive, you know. Everything is temporary. Was I at rock bottom yesterday? <laughs> Was I After we were done recording. After we were done recording, did Before I hit rock bottom? our five episode binge of Survivor. Survivor? Between recording this episode and binging Survivor. You know, did I cry on the phone to my mom? You know, did I get down on all fours in the bathroom and weep while trying to wash mustard it's out of really the shirt chic. that I designed? You know, was I at rock bottom? Yes. Will you be there again? Fuck yes. <laughs> but where am I now? I'm at least six inches above rock bottom. And that means the world. You know, it means the world that I can say that. We've had some mozzarella sticks. We're having wine. We have now... Watched all of the Bedford Diaries. You need to stop telling people that we're drinking alcohol because, <laughs> because a friend of mine, I don't know if I mentioned this, a friend of mine started listening to the podcast and she was listening to episode one. She Snapchats me and she's like, oh my gosh, girl, I can so tell that you're blackout drunk. <laughs> 
And I absolutely was not in any way drunk recording episode one. I've never in my life been blackout drunk on this podcast. Well, once I've said it before, I'll say it again. Unfortunately, other than just baby being a little more excited, there isn't a huge difference between between you drunk and you sober. I mean, I appreciate that that's true because it just means I can trust my drunk self, you know, if if she's really just a heightened version of this. But it is a little bit embarrassing to have people think you're blackout drunk when you're Embrace it, Absolutely Whatever. They still love it. Y'all still love it. Look, if I'm blackout drunk on the pod, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to mention And I'll be slurring. I won't be so articulate as I am now. Okay. So where we left off, Richard was telling Katrina that he's in love with her and that he wants her to give the relationship a chance. And he has this really profound quote. He says, you know, I quit drinking and doing drugs by myself. I wasn't a part of any 12-step program. And Katrina, you are that last missing piece in the puzzle that makes life worth living that's why i fucking got myself sober all on my own with no help it was so that i could be the man that you deserve he should maybe get some help yeah i mean it sounds like maybe he should just get help right um but she does not connect with what he's saying and she's dead ass with him and she says i don't feel the same way I can't pretend to have feelings that I don't have. And she breaks up with him. Do we think Macklin is just better in bed? Well, she makes that very joke later in the episode, doesn't she? I guess he asks her and she doesn't really say it. She won't answer. She won't answer. I mean, I think she's got the history with Macklin. And Richard, for her, was just a fun experiment. You know, a younger guy, a young rich guy who had cool connections. But ultimately... Like most men. Couldn't satisfy her the way her (laughs) ex-husband could. So she breaks up with him. And despite the fact that they've only been dating for an episode and a half. Like um, two. Maybe two episodes. He is devastated. You know, he truly did think he was falling in love with her. And, you know, he used to be a drunk. He used to be a player. But now he was ready to settle down. I don't know how old he is. I guess 21. Um, but, you know, maybe he was foolish to fall in love so young, but he's really affected by this breakup. Well, you know, he describes his life before while drinking to literally be a blur. So this might literally just be the first relationship. The first time he's had true In which he's present fully. things crystal clear. (laughs) Yes. So right after he gets dumped and Katrina leaves... Natalie shows up at his office to ask about getting the newspaper's support for the clinic. And before she even gets to tell him why she's there, he yells at her and says, like, this isn't a good time. And she's like, it's really important. He's like, I said it's not a good time. And just, like, totally asks, acts like a big fucking baby and yells in her face. Um, so she leaves. I know you don't believe in it, but I do think if Natalie were thriving today, she would be in the cottagecore movement. I'll fucking say it. Do you think that she would be a cottagecore lesbian? She doesn't no. seem... She doesn't seem to be interested in men on the... Sh- I mean, women on the show, but she doesn't seem to be satisfied by the men. So, so maybe if she started to entertain the idea 
of being with a woman, ultimately in 10 years, she, she would end up a, with a Betty. She could be a cottage court lesbian. Right. For sure. Um, <laughs> so, um, Richard runs into Sarah outside on the sidewalk and it's unclear if this is immediately after the breakup or what, but he seems like he's drunk. He's just acting weird. Um, but he's not drunk. She asks him, are you drunk? He said, no. Um, but he's just, he's drunk on heartbreak. You know, he's, he's fucked up by Katrina and they have a heart to heart, him and Sarah on this park. I feel bench. like they, that's their thing. Having little heart to hearts when they're both struggling. On benches. Yeah. yeah. Heart to hearts on benches. I will say it is a shame because it's, I think, so they filmed all the exteriors on, at Barnard. Yeah. They were in the city. It's just a shame that it feels like the show didn't... They didn't use New York very much. Use more of the city, yeah. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of things that are a shame (laughs) about this show. Um, That's not really one that stood out to me, but you are right. Um, So then we cut to Richard's video diary, because of course, you know, we have to like end every episode on the video diary. And he brings it home, because this week's lesson was about passion. He says... Passion is about giving everything you have to someone else because you need to make them happy. Passion is pain. Of course, he's referring to giving everything he has to Katrina um, by inviting a couple people to a party. (laughs) That was him giving his all to her because he desperately needed to make her happy. But of course, he's come to terms with the fact that he couldn't make her happy. And that's why passion is pain. So Macklin watches Richard's video diary because that's his job. And he this sh- man is sick. Macklin? He is sick. I think he's a terrible, terrible professor, but I do kind of stand. He's not teaching them anything. But he's getting that paycheck. He has and all a raw he has to do sexual energy. He, he has a more sexual energy than anyone else on the show. And he's getting that paycheck. And all he has to do is watch co-eds talk to a camera about their sex life. He just knows so much about these kids. An inappropriate amount. I mean, kind of like a cult leader. You know, he's building these blackmail videos that he could use down the line to keep them in service to him. I would be mortified if if a teacher had a stack of videos in which I'm talking about how much I want to bang my classmate. A classmate in his class. I don't know if I would be mortified, but I think I don't have... um, a lot of self-control or sense of privacy. (laughs) Um, I think if maybe I had more of that, I would be more embarrassed. But I, I mean, I exchange flirtatious DMs with one of my professors via Tinder. And then you bullied him. And and then I was really mean to him about it. I was... It's a great blog article. I was 19. Everyone check out abigailbaldwin.com. Thank you so much for plugging my blog. You know, you can just read more about my escapades on there. I post about once every five months. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I'm working hard. So Macklin comes to Richard's office after he sees the video diary and tells him that they need to take a walk. And this is their moment to have their heart to heart about Katrina because they're both in love with her but it's clear she's choosing one over the other. And um, it's not given to us. We're not given the window into the heart to heart. Oh, because the episode cuts off too. It was the episode, was the episode cut off or was that the end of the episode? Yes. Okay. So the episode gets cut off. So we miss what is, I imagine like a four, 
four minute tops scene between Richard and Macklin. I want y'all to know that it's not laziness. This show is not on Amazon Prime. Yeah. It's not easily accessible. There are no recaps. Exactly. There are no recaps. So this is all that we have to give you. We can only speculate. There's only two YouTube playlists that have these episodes. And they're all, they're both missing the same little chunks. But the chunks are 10 minutes max. Yes. That are missing. And there's only been like a very, like three missing chunks the whole time. So. I think we have a. a I think that we are still the definitive recap of the the Bedford Bedford Diaries. Diaries. Well, and the thing about what we're missing is that it clearly doesn't matter. (laughs) Well, one of them matters to me, but we'll get to it. So that is the end of episode six, which means all we have left is the the two part finale, the final two episodes, which aired on one night. And y'all better buckle in. And by buckle in, I mean strap yourself down for a little auto-erotic asphyxiation. <laughs> is that only, what you meant? Literally, if only. Is that is that what you meant? No, I meant like the not exciting. Okay, great. So let's jump in. Episode seven. Gore-Tex! <laughs> it's my mom texting me and it's one in the morning in Boston. Oh my God, is she okay? Sometimes she just... She wakes up because the dogs wake her up. And then she sees she has a text from me because I'm always texting her at inappropriate times. About our new place. Yeah. Uh, um, do you want to mute your laptop? You want me to mute my laptop? I mean, I just don't gotcha. want to be getting text no, messages. It's good. I got you. Great. Episode seven of The Bedford Diaries is titled Risky Business. Now, I don't know if um, any part of this episode has anything to do with the movie risky business because i've never seen it but it doesn't um there's not even anybody in like a button-up and underwear well i think there's more to that movie than that moment well not to me well we would know if you would have let me watch risky business when did i stop you from watching risky business i feel like one night i wanted to watch risky business and you don't like tom cruise and i don't his he has a tooth in the center of his face so how am i supposed to watch a movie (laughs) if you don't approve we watch almost everything together i don't remember refusing to watch risky business sorry you did i can't confirm that that happened i'm sorry it lives in your mind but it doesn't live in mine therefore i cannot believe that it's reality the episode opens on a disheveled richard he is (laughs) he's walking through the streets of new york city there's a soft pop rock song. It's very WB. It's very, you know, it's similar to Christian rock, I would say. It was that era where alt Christian rock was like radio friendly and oh, that. I love Switchfoot. I know you do. And the WB soundtrack is your personal soundtrack. It's true. A little Lilith vibe. <sighs> Richard visits Natalie's dorm in the middle of the night. And he asks if he can stay. But he only sleeps in a chair. Or or he says he'll stay, but he'll sleep in a chair. Right? It's really unclear why he wants to sleep in her room. And he is acting drunk for someone who is on nothing. I mean, he doesn't want to be alone. He doesn't want to be tempted by the alcohol. You know? So he wants to... (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. Thank you. Um... And him and Natalie have a history, you know? Yeah, apparently. He drove her off a building. Outside, they hear a scream. 
and they witness the aftermath of a young woman getting mugged. So it's bringing us right back to the main conflict of kind of the last episode. You know, do we get more security so that the clinic versus cops? Correct. Correct. In Chris's dorm room. That's his name, right? Chris? Yes. The guy who's hooking up with Zoe? Yes. Yeah. In his dorm room, it's the next morning. Oh my god. Zoe is dressed in a large men's dress shirt. Yes. And she's wielding a sexy whip of sorts. I thought it was a feather. It could might have been a feather. It looked like a cat toy feather thing that she was tickling him with. There are candles everywhere. Yeah. It's the middle of the day. Yeah. It's sexy. Okay. (laughs) Um, She does a little little dance for him, you know, a little unbuttoning of the shirt she's wearing yeah. like a hot pink bra underneath mm-hmm. Lace she's moment. straddling him they're macking and he says i know you're supposed to be a virgin to which she responds with i am and he says well then i want to be the one he wants to bang her he wants to be the one who takes her virginity he wants to go all the way and i get it you know She's really rocked his world, and they haven't even had sex With spoons yet. spoons and feathers, etc. Exactly. Zoe is down. She is like... At first, it, it seems like she's a little reluctant, but, you know, she agrees to it, but only if they can tape it. She wants to videotape her first time. He says, what if I want to run for office? And she says, you're a theater major, <laughs> which I never would have clocked him. You as know, a theater for, major? As a, as a theater it major. It just doesn't really seem fun or interesting. Correct. Or annoying. The next morning. Sorry. Cut to Natalie's dorm. Right. Owen visits Natalie and sees that Richard is there. On and his of way course, out, putting on his jacket. Is bobbed. Is so bothered. He's so bothered. He's, He's so, so jealous. He's so jealous. Yeah. I mean, Insecure. I get it. I'm According to our poll, you know. The people favor Milo. It's a fact. So he sees that the people are favoring Milo, and that's why he's so insecure. But in this moment, Richard agrees to support the clinic publicly in the the Bedford Bugle. Yeah. In the seminar, in the sexy class, um, everyone is discussing the phrase, all's fair in love and war. Another riveting in depth. Ugh, these sound bites. I know, I know, literally. And their video diary assignment is to think about what each of them are willing to risk for love. Nothing. Zero. Humiliation? Personally. You're willing to risk humiliation for love? Yeah. I'd like to are? think so. Oh. That's Just mature. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Lee is still gambling. It's, I mean, once you start, it's hard to stop. I would say it's the only consistent thing about this show. Yeah. And we're not, you know, we're not trying to mock people who do struggle with gambling addictions. It's more on this show that it just kind of came out of nowhere and escalates in about a 24-hour period. At the end of the day, if you take anything I say seriously, I just can't be held responsible. <laughs> I'm a fool. But such an adorable dancing fool. Thank you. A gesture, if you will. Lee is gambling, right? Um, And he loses a bunch of money in what seems to be a really major way. And Zoe's there. So she's witness to this. She's like, ooh, is that bad? Right. He reveals that, um, you know, he is pretty behind on his schoolwork. 
So he's bummed because, you know, he doesn't want to work. He has a gambling addiction and he hasn't even started his 25 page art history essay. And he is going to be a father in nine months time. There's that. Zoe recommends a guy that she knows who sells essays, but it will cost him $500. And I mean, he did just lose a bunch of money. So $500 for an essay. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I never purchased any essays in college. I also never sold any. I'd be willing to sell essays. I want better for you. But $500 seems really steep. I mean, I do recognize that it is a 25 page paper and you're you know, you are paying to plagiarize, but that's a lot of money. I guess it's for the rich, elite, spoiled students who just don't, you know, they have the luxury to not have to bother to do their own homework. Right. Sarah visits Richard at the Bugle and asks him to push a story about the girl who got mugged over a story about um, the upcoming rally to keep the clinic open. She wants to manipulate the media circuit to push her own ideals so that the people won't get fired up about the clinic and they'll stay focused on the need for intense security. He is pissy um, about it. Well, less about it, more about, you know, his heartbreak. But she reminds him that he owes her after she backed the bugle when they were threatening to cut the budget. Which they did anyway, so I don't... She really is a politician. I mean, she's manipulative, she's selfish, and... And not even in a fun way. I don't fucking like her. I don't. I'll say it. (laughs) I mean, I think that most shows to succeed need, you know, those characters that you love to hate, but she's not fun, so... Well, I don't love to hate her, because I don't think we're supposed to hate her. She's not set up as a villain. Correct. We are supposed to sympathize with her more conservative... Yeah, I mean, I guess she's, you know, she's complex in the sense that she has flaws. Um, But all the characters on the show have flaws, and I don't hate all of them. Some would say more flaws than, you know. Than attractive qualities. Than positive qualities. She's hot. There's that. You're dead right. Um, Sarah expresses concern over what a mess Richard is. Mm -hmm. And he says, oh, you care about me? Sucker. And in his video diary, Richard says, you know, he tells Macklin how being with Katrina was supposed to screw with his head. And and now Richard's the one who screwed up. Mm-hmm. By trying to fuck with Professor Macklin, he fucked with himself. I'm sure he got at least a B minus on that video diary. Do you think he gives letter grades to the individual video diaries? Because I think probably not. I, I would say maybe he grades them out of five. I think it's like a check if you did it. Oh, do you think there's a second limit? You know, well, that's chat for at least 10 seconds. It just seems like the class should be pass fail, but he admits that there's in fact grading and it is subjective. So I don't even want to, I, I don't want to get into it. I, I was thinking, because on the last episode, the room is set up in with a wrap chalkboard, a wraparound chalkboard um, that's empty. It's completely blank, except he'll typically write one sentence fragment on the board every day in class I or a single word that i'm sure there was a pa who was tasked with writing things on the board and then erasing it you know so it looks like he's writing there was erasing. something there yeah i just never had a single class in college where there wasn't like an entire times new roman 12 point font essay projected 
on the wall at all times. While working on flyers for the rally, Natalie and Richard criticize Owen's design, and he gets really, really mad. But as an audience member, we are supposed to know that he is actually upset over Natalie and Richard's connection. He is deeply insecure and a huge asshole. And I did not realize that until this episode. And he just becomes increasingly more insufferable as the next episode and a half go on. He's very insecure, and but he lashes out in anger in a way that is very unattractive. Well, it seems to me that he and Richard actually have a very similar trajectory. They're both, in the past, they have both been playboys, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, Owen has his bar routine. And for the first time, they are in relationships, and they don't know how to deal with their feelings. Their feelings. But in addition to being played by Milo Ventimiglia. And Penn Badgley. Right. Well, I just think Richard does still show more maturity because he's upset over Katrina for like a day. Yes. And he, you know, he yells at Natalie the one time, but then he goes back to being a nice guy. Whereas it well, just Richard seems is like older. He <laughs> is older by a couple years. It just seems like with Owen, he just continues to get more and more worked up and he's unable to voice why. Richard is able to say, you know what, I'm upset about this breakup. And you know what? Owen is not able to identify that his feelings are hurt and that's why he's acting out. We may not be able to ever really get growth with Owen in this particular circumstance. But, you know, I have the option to rewatch Gossip Girl and pretend that Dan is Owen. And see him still not grow. Would you want to do that? No, I have better things to do. Like, watch This Is Us or Survivor. Zoe's boy toy approaches Lee because he wants to confirm that Zoe is, in fact, a virgin. Classic male behavior. Why do you need to ask around and get a second opinion? <laughs> she told you that she's a virgin. Well, I need to confirm it with your friends. Why? I, well, because she's asking if she can film them have sex. And he just doesn't want to get, like, played, I guess. Correct. Um, you know, he, he tells Lee that they've been spooning. Yeah, which is funny because they've actually been doing... Something with a with a cold metallic spoon. Correct. Um, but Lee, of course, confirms. You know, so Chris goes off to work out because he wants to be in tip top shape for for the hot video for his sex tape. After Chris leaves, Lee is confronted by his art history teacher, who points out that the essay was due today. Where the fuck is it? And he tells Lee that he's going to need a really good excuse if he wants his paper to be considered. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he, what he says is, I bet you have a really good, well-rehearsed excuse. And I'm not going to feel bad about not accepting it because I'm not even going to hear the excuse. So it seems like he's not going to accept the paper at all. The thing but is, then I he does. have turned in many a late paper. But you typically email before the due date and say that my paper's going to be late. You don't wait and not turn it in and then are like, oh, fuck, I didn't turn it in. But I guess it's supposed to be a final but I don't know why he's having a final in this class, but maybe not in any of the others. It's a term paper. Oh. So I guess it's the end, end of, of the term. term and he just doesn't have any like other assignments in any other classes. We cut to what seems to be a really random scene, but it'll it'll be valuable later on. It's a rooftop scene in which a fraternity is beginning an initiation process for their pledges. Oh, you and know, fuck the Greeks. The president is played by Scott Porter. 
Um, some of you may know him from Friday Night Lights. He is the quarterback who um, is injured in the first episode and is uh, in a wheelchair the rest of the show. You may also know him from the Prom Night remake as Brittany Snow's boyfriend. Uh, I have seen that. He is in Dear John. Okay. And Heart of Dixie. Okay. And you he love was, all this stuff. I love it. And he was recently in the one of the Blumhouse Hulu Into the Dark movies, Pure. Pure. Where he played. Was, guys, if you have Hulu, that is that's the Into the Dark film to watch. It's yeah. actually really fucking good. Has its flaws, but its bones. It's, it's like speaking of Lilith. You know, the, yeah, the basic qualities of the movie are really good and and it should be consumed um it's a fun it's definitely a fun movie and he plays like a really creepy yeah priest just interesting for the bedford diaries to once again be giving us one of these cute little guest stars you know before they were famous moments so he has the first pledge doused with beer sandwiched between two mattresses and thrown off a building you heard it right yeah should I go again? Thrown off a building, tied, like wrapped up between two mattresses, but they fuck up. Because he hits a car and he fractures a rib and they have to take him to the clinic. Ooh. It's unclear if they threw him onto a parked car or a moving vehicle. It seems like a parked car. Mm. Maybe they imagine. should have looked before they threw. Afterwards, the doctor, the single doctor who works at the clinic, mm-hmm. meets up who with... Who also is the professor of the class. Of, of the that, intro to biology class. Yeah, that Owen and Natalie are, are taking. It's, it seems like they maybe hired a doctor, kind of forced him to be a biology teacher, and, you know, he, like, has to work at the clinic, so... So that's why he makes his class yeah. work at the clinic. The doctor meets up with Carla, again, from the ethics committee, and and she is personally against closing the clinic. She knows how valuable it is for the community. Um, She's the only person with any sense. And the doctor suggests that maybe they try to cut funding from the Greeks because they're literally out here endangering student lives. It's a great idea. Lee tells Zoe that he doesn't think she should have sex with Chris. And rightfully, she's pissed off that he would make a suggestion like that that's so out of pocket and unnecessary. It's not your business. Why are you policing a woman's sexuality, Lee? Uh, Control freak. So immediately after this, she and Chris meet up. Yeah. And he's struck by how bright the room is. You Mm -hmm. know, she has a lighting setup. She is not interested in having a Paris Hilton fiasco. You know, she wants every- Is Paris Hilton sex tape low lit? I think it's dark and it's in that- um, the night cam, the green night cam. Oh, yeah. that I kind of love as a sex tape aesthetic. I know, but you know, Zoe wants to see everything. Oh, I, which I also respect. So, She's an eyes open, lights on kind of girl. Exactly. They start kissing and it's instantly clear that he is more interested in looking good in front of the camera instead of pleasuring the gorgeous, fantastic, it's electric just like woman before You him. have the beautiful privilege of being her first, and you're more concerned about what angle you're being shot from instead of, you know, making love to a beautiful, gorgeous woman who happens to be, you know, what's a word for virginity? I don't know. It's a made-up concept, right? But she's, this is her first time, and you it should be all about her. And she spooned him. She fucking tickled him with a feather. She strip-teased for him. Um, anyway, it doesn't go well because he is not able to get hard. 
it's stage fright. Totally fine. It happens. You know, he's, he's nervous about the cameras. She, her reaction is a little confused. She, you know, she's like, whatever, bummed. Like, I think she's more annoyed by his entire presence than anything. Yeah, it it's like. like less about the fact that he can't get hard and more just about the fact that he is making the whole thing about him. And she just kind of rolls her eyes and is like, it's stage fright, whatever. Um, and that's the end of that experience. The rally to save the clinic is really popping off. And th- there's a lot of fades. There's students cheering. Um, but the only noteworthy thing that I jotted down was that we get a shot of Owen being really jealous when Richard whispers in Natalie's ear on stage because they're in the middle of a rally and she can't hear him. It's not even romantic, but he's a mess. He's really jealous. Like he strikes me. I mean, it's a little precursor for his role on you. Oh my God. A little crazy, obsessive, jealous type. Sarah and Natalie have a meeting and Sarah asks Natalie what her dreams are. But, you know, Natalie's a free spirit. You she's know? really rude about she's, it. She's like, so what are your what are your goals, really? Like, what are your dreams? It's like she's a baby cottagecore lesbian. Leave her alone. Um, But Natalie doesn't give her a straight answer. Yeah. And Sarah admits that, you know, her dream for Owen is for him to be able to get an education and to have fun freshman year. And frankly, Natalie is disrupting that. This was... I mean, obviously, I've already been talking shit on Sarah, but this was a huge moment for me where I was like, girl, what is your problem? Owen clearly is really into Natalie, and you're kind of just sticking your nose in his business in a way that is really unnecessary. And just implying that somehow Natalie is getting between him and his education, she's not. It just seems like if you're an actress with the likeness of Nina Dobrev, you are just plagued to play you know, really the worst characters. awful characters. The only exception being Leighton Meester, of course. In her video diary, Sarah reveals that freshman year she was mugged by someone who was getting help from the clinic. It was, you know, some kind of like poor member of the community who came out of the clinic and mugged her and stole her purse. So this is her motivation. And I think we are supposed to sympathize with the fact that her purse was stolen. That's like, and you don't have a job and have a very nice apartment in New York City. It's just that she implies that because this one person who was at the clinic mugged her, she she genuinely is implying that that means that these people don't deserve health care. She's a bootlicker. She's probably a Republican. I, I truly do not fucking trust her. She's centering, she's doing the victim narrative of sending herself as the victim just because she, she had her purse stolen once. It wasn't even a violent mugging. <laughs> um, and she somehow thinks that that means that she's an authority on whether or not underprivileged people in the community should get free health care. That's exactly right. And no one fucking calls her out on this shit. Well, no one knows. Well, Macklin watches yes. the video diary and he doesn't fucking pull her aside and, and say maybe you should question your values and stop centering yourself as the ultimate victim. Well, he doesn't seem to respond to a lot of the really crazy things these yeah. people are I saying mean, he on doesn't, tape. He doesn't respond to them at all. No. So. Lee and Zoe meet up and it's clear now in this moment that he has a full-blown gambling addiction. Mm-hmm. Which is like, can you... I, I will say... We'll talk about the finale when it gets there. But one of one of the many issues the show has, right? Yeah. 
This is one of the few canceled shows that's getting the opportunity to have a complete season arc. Yeah. And yet, really nothing is building. There, there's no, like, arc, it seems, from the first episode to the finale, you yeah. know? Plot-wise, there's nothing being... There's, there's no building blocks. Except for, it seems, like, Lee's gambling, gambling addiction. addiction, which gets its shine in the finale. But in these episodes, it's just, like, Lee on his laptop hitting well, the space bar multiple times. Even if they didn't know that the show was getting canceled, typically eight episodes into a show... It would be going somewhere, and there would be arcs. I would understand if it was a mid-season finale, but I think they knew. They knew, yeah. So, um, Lee asks Zoe how losing her virginity went, and she says that popping her pistachio was everything she wanted and more. Her words. And it's important to note that they're at the bar, and Zoe once again says, darts is life. Because Lee leaves and, like, Owen shows up and she's like, want to play darts? Darts is life. Do you think that they, that the writers felt like this was, like, a cute little quirk for her? That she says darts is life multiple times in an eight-episode show? I could also see that they forgot. That they had already written it. <laughs> Someone was like, do you know what would be funny? No, we haven't used Look, it yet. darts is life is her thing. We haven't she, used it yet. She loves darts. Owen and Natalie meet with the Dean and Sarah about a compromise. And they are being offered a slow phasing out of the clinic. Um, At this point, we don't hear what the rest of the proposal is because Owen pops the fuck off, which, of course, embarrasses Natalie. You know, she doesn't like where the proposal is going, right? It still ultimately ends with the clinic being shut down. But it's like you cannot be disrupting what should be like a constructive meeting. You know, because if he hadn't maybe yelled, like... He just kind of starts making, like, personal attacks. Against Sarah. And it's, yeah, and it's super unprofessional, especially in front of the Dean. Owen decides that he needs to back off. Because, one, he's made a fool of himself. Yeah. He's too emotional. And at the end of the day, his main motivation is not saving the clinic. It's just, like, being around Natalie. He admits to Natalie that he doesn't actually care about the clinic and that she's a better person than him and that he really hopes that she has success with the clinic, but he can't be a part of it anymore. In her video diary, Natalie reveals that she's concerned that she's not willing to risk enough for love. I don't know what the hell she's talking about. Well, she kind of implies that she's, that this, the whole reason why she got involved in saving the clinic was to have something to distract herself and basically self-sabotage the relationship with Owen. It just doesn't make sense. No. She's like, yeah, you know, I wanted to save this clinic maybe because I wanted to dive into something instead of embracing this new relationship. But, you know, now saving the clinic is tearing my relationship apart. None of those statements are true. (laughs) Katrina and Macklin are in the honeymoon stage, but she is going away to Paris for two weeks. Um, And he's slightly insecure about it, but we move on pretty quickly. I think this was mainly just to explain why she's maybe not in the following episode. Yes. But, you know, it does establish that between Macklin and Richard, she chose Macklin and she is getting back with and romantically involved with her ex-husband. And unlike Lauren Conrad, she is choosing Paris. The Dean thinks Carla's support of the clinic is politically driven he doesn't think that carla actually cares about the clinic and only that it that she wants um to run for office it to be documented that she cared about this clinic 
for when she runs for office in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the the a subplot of this episode, you know, tension between Dean and Car- the Dean she's and She's also not in the finale, which is disappointing because I do really like her as a character. I mean, she's not one of the core students. She is a professor, but I was a fan of her. Well, she's she is a character in which everything she says and does makes sense. Yeah. Right? Even and if it's not the most interesting, it makes sense. She seems to be the actual voice of reason since Professor Jake Macklin doesn't really seem to have much productive information to contribute. I love your hair like that. Thank you. This is now the second time in this episode that I'm commenting on your hair, but it's a, it's a day apart, so it doesn't even count. Carla goes to the dean, you know, she wants to make amends, and she thinks that they should threaten the board by leaking the information, um, the, the the fraternity's antics, the dangerous hazing, the hazing. that's going yeah. on, um, threaten them with leaking that, you know, getting the school even more bad press. Um and I, it works because love, they agree to keep the clinic open. Yeah, what I love is that the dean loves the idea of threatening and blackmailing the board. He's super into the idea. Well, I, I think we're supposed to know that the board is just a bunch of like rich parents. Yeah, and like he's alumni. fucking tired of the board. And it works because they saved the clinic. Sarah asks Richard if he thinks that she lacks compassion because she reveals to him that she oh judges the homeless. You know, she tells us, she asks him like, you know, what, how do you feel when you like see like some poor homeless person? Like, what are your thoughts? He doesn't really respond or well, he says, I don't remember. He's like, sometimes I throw them $20 and sometimes I ignore them. That's what he says. Right. Um, Richard thinks that Sarah, rather than calling this bitch out, he thinks that Sarah lacks compassion for herself. She literally says to him, when I see a homeless person, I'm like, oh my God, that person is so dirty. And like, what did they do to get themselves in this situation? And if I give them money, they're just going to use it for booze and drugs. It's just one of those things where she clearly feels guilty for having a bias. Yeah. So it's like, okay, girl, you've acknowledged that, right? Now, if you know you have a bias. Do the self-work. Do the self-work to rework that, to do better You know, even if you still feel a certain way, you can logically know this is wrong. I should be a better person. But you know what? But she's not. In classic white on white fashion, Richard tells her, you know, pat yourself on the back and show yourself some love, girl. It's okay. But it's not okay. And we move on and never hear about this again. Yeah. Lee is pressed for time. So he bites the bullet, purchases the paper, fingers crossed, let's go right? Never in film, television, and I don't know about life, has this worked out. I think because in most media, right, this is like a learning lesson, like, let's punish this character. For buying a $500 essay. But... I mean, I'm sure kids successfully buy their essays all the time. Right. Without getting caught. So, whatever. The episode wraps up with Natalie and Owen in her dorm. They've reconciled. I don't remember how. It doesn't really say. Um, she puts on a Billie Holiday cover of a song that's closely associated with suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, they snuggle up and Owen asks Natalie if she was in love with Richard. And in a really roundabout way, she says no. But she implies yes. But he doesn't believe her. And in his video diary, in the conclusion of the episode, he admits that he thinks that he is going to lose Natalie. 
And you know what? You're probably not going to lose her. You're probably going to push her away. And that leads us to the conclusion of the Bedford Diaries. Take it away, babe. I will be the first to admit that I expected different things from the finale than (laughs) what I got. I'm not actually super mad about it. Like, I'm not furious about what takes place in this episode, but it wasn't really what I anticipated. It's standard. And like I was saying before, I think that, you know, you and I have dedicated this podcast to watching canceled shows, right? Yeah. We have... And I, that being said, I mean, this is our fifth show. I feel like I haven't fully come to terms with the fact that these are all going to be unfinished stories, right? Well, Zero Hour so far has been the most complete. Yeah. I appreciate prep. that we are surprised every time it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Despite guys. the fact that this is canceled television. Bad, right? Quality wise. But I will say... I still had a lot of fun watching the show. A blast. I I had a fun watching the finale. This, there's a 10 minute chunk missing in this one. And it hurts because this episode, although not perfect, that that 10 minute chunk looked like it probably was really fun and juicy. I mean, hopefully, but we didn't get to see it. Um, I think we got a gist for what happened in those 10 minutes. Yeah. So the episode opens with a pretty fun opening. It's Richard hiring and firing several different sexy Sadies. Of course, he needs somebody to write the sex advice column and nobody is good enough. And we get a scene of him grilling a girl who's interviewing for the position. And he asks her, what's your sexual history? What kind of underwear are you wearing? You know, he basically sexually harasses her in a way that's completely inappropriate. Hires Which her. she says so. Yeah, and he keeps going. He hires her, and then she's bad, and he fires her. And then he does that again with, like, four other people. Um, Then I wrote, Lee is addicted to gambling. (laughs) So, (laughs) in case y'all forgot, Lee has a major online gambling addiction. Mm -hmm. So, I do like that it's, it appears to just be the one single website. It's the one single poker website. Yeah. So he's at home gambling and Rachel is sitting on the couch going through a baby name book. I like her. I wish the show, I mean, look, we don't have time for her because we don't even have time for the characters she's that we have. She's not in the sex class. But I I think that, act. I like that actress. Yeah, I think she's cute. She's sweet. She has a sincerity that I enjoy. So she is going through a baby name book and suggesting names and he's clearly being testy and did you clock those names though they were really funny there was one kind of just like it was anastasia and then it was like anika yeah well it was it was funny to me because it was clearly kind of like maybe just like a vague western name and then a name that she was like would my black boyfriend like to name our half black child this? Like, that's what I got and, from and that. And he's like, no. And then she's like, I just want the kid to have it. Like, I just want her to have a unique name. Yeah. So then, um, you know, he's ignoring her because he's gambling and he's being testy with her. And she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, I see that you're studying. Yeah. I shouldn't be bothering you. And that obviously makes him feel like, oh fuck, like I'm being such a dick. He doesn't want to tell her the truth that he's gambling. But he doesn't want her to think that he's studying, and that's why he's giving her attitude. So he I just say, if this was a CW show, he would have spiraled way harder. That's all, you know? He's like a nice guy. It, yeah. Um. So he shuts his laptop and goes over to her on the couch, and she's like, what about Lee? That could work for a girl or a boy. It's like so cute. He kisses her. 
she immediately shoves him off of her. They're barely, they're just kissing. Like, it's not yeah. steamy. But obviously, you know, he's into it. And she's like, so, you know how I've been having cramps? Well, you know kissing on this show is the equivalent of dry humping. All kissing leads to penetration. So she pushes him off and she's like, you know, you that I've been having some cramps. Well, the doctor says that we should wait to have sex until I'm done with my first trimester. And Lee is like, cool, whatever. Like, that's fine. Like, obviously, like he's going to miss the sex, but he doesn't give her a hard time about it. Um, And this is foreshadowing to the theme of class this week. You know that everything that happens in the episode has to come back to class. Correct. So class's topic this week is celibacy and abstinence. Macklin says... Literal eye roll. Macklin says, you know, that we need sex for our health and well-being. But what happens when we don't have it? How does it make you feel when you're abstinent? And how do you compensate for a lack of sex? I mean, I feel driven mad, but more so by the global pandemic and Just the fact unemployment that- and up until today, lack of housing rather than the abstinence associated right. with. I mean, for me, it's that, you know, I was having sex and now because of this pandemic, I'm no longer having sex and it just feels cosmic. It feels cosmic. A punishment. You know, like a punishment. You know, I'm being forced into this abstinence. But we still have each other. We do. And you know what? As illustrated in this episode of the show, sometimes friendship and an intellectual connection is better than sex. So, you know, in the perfect fashion of this class, he gives them one question that they have to answer on their video diary. And that's the extent to the college course that they're taking. Maybe it's a two credit sitch. You know, maybe it's a one credit. Right. So Owen goes to his dorm and his roommate is wearing like mitten dusting. Yeah. And he's scrubbing the side of his bunk bed. And Owen is like, oh my God, like you've changed. And his roommate is like, well, my girlfriend from high school is coming for a week. So I guess get earplugs and an eye mask because, you know, we're going to be having lots of sex. Or watch. Or you can watch, you know, free porn. That's literally what he says. I just think, sorry, finish this section. Well, Owen is pissed that he has to basically now vacate his room. Um, because his roommate's having this girl over for a week of sex. And as he's like, whatever, I'll leave. Um, the roommate is like, can we use your sheets? Mine are in the wash. Nasty. So Owen's plotline this episode is looking for a place to stay. Yeah. For a week. Yeah. They're not having sex 24 hours a day. I just feel like he can fucking stay in his goddamn dorm room. It just seems like he doesn't want to sleep there. So it's like, okay, crash somewhere else. But like. It's not like you cannot enter your room for an entire week because they're going to be having like 24 hours, seven day a week tantric sex. Correct. But I guess I could be wrong. Maybe they are. Whatever. So he's just like, whatever, I'll go crash with Natalie. So then he's in bed with Nat. You know, it looks like it's post-coital. They're kissing. I feel like sometimes TV kissing can go like, you know, either way. Yeah. It looks very pleasant. You oh, know? I, I didn't even notice. I thought so. I was like, I want to make out with Penn. And you know I've been well, consumed with thoughts of Orville, so... So interesting that you had space in your mind for another man. Exactly. Generous of you. That's big of you. <laughs> so he's laying in her bed, and he says that her ceiling is really boring. 
And then he offers to paint her ceiling. It's a dorm room. It's a dorm. What are you painting, hon? So he tells her, you know, my roommate has the squirrel staying over. So I figured I'd just crash with you for a week. He doesn't ask, hey, can I stay in your room for a week? He just, you know, says like, yeah, so I just figured I'd crash with you. And Natalie's like, well, I actually have a roommate. You know, she typically stays with her boyfriend, but she still crashes here sometimes at night. And I just feel like it would be rude if you were here. I would like to rewind to last episode when Richard stopped by. We got a 360 view of that room. Yeah. There's no other bed. Where is Jasmine sleeping? Maybe in the chair where Richard slept. (laughs) So Owen acts, you know, textbook, like a huge asshole about this. He gets up and basically is like, whatever, like I saw a homeless shelter around the corner. So I guess I'll just sleep there. Well, it's once again, him just saying, feeling like she doesn't want him. And it's like, if she didn't want you, she wouldn't be in bed with you. He's just, you know, clearly he's insecure and doesn't know how to manage his feelings. I mean, this is at the end of the day, pretty accurate for an 18, 19 year old boy. Like right. I, I don't think that this is unrealistic behavior. It just happens to be um, unattractive behavior. He hasn't been wearing his vest. I wonder if that has something to do with it. I mean, maybe it's just getting warmer. So Lee turns in his $500 term paper. He has never cheated before and he feels bad. About do you think cheating. he read it? I'm always amused in these... A 25-page paper? I in these, you fucking read it. I just feel like in these scenarios, these people are turning in an essay, and then their teacher catches them by being like... This is Wikipedia. Like, quoting something from the paper, and the student just having no idea, like... Yeah. Oh. I mean, I assume someone like Lee probably read it, but at the same time, how does he have time to read a 25-page paper if he's so busy gambling? I know. Professor Dixon is, um, of course from episodes one and two, the professor that Sarah had her affair with. And, you know, he's been off the show for a couple episodes, but he's back. And he runs into Sarah just, like, on campus. She's, like, hanging out with Richard, helping, like, trying to get him to write an article or something. And Professor Dixon shows up. And he tells Sarah his words that she looks luminous. I do like the choice of the word luminous. I do. He looks like Luke Wilson. That's what, you know what I mean? Owen Wilson's brother? Yeah. I don't see it. Because I like the Wilson brothers and I don't like He just guy. like looks like Luke Wilson to me and that's all I was thinking about. Mm, I disagree. The entire scene. So he tells her that she looks luminous and that he is, you know, she, he's just giving her this information she doesn't need. He says he's really happy because him and his wife um, are dating each other again. You know, she's they're not having sex. He tells her, you know, she won't have sex with me, but we're going out. We're dating. So I'm really happy. No one fucking asked. Okay. I'm happy for you though. Um, And he told her that his book that he was apparently working on while they were dating is actually getting published. And he really wants her to come to a reading that um, the college is hosting of, of his book. And she seems very um, lusty in this moment, but she seems hesitant to go to his reading. And she, um, she, we cut to her video diary where she says that abstinence is hard. You know, it's as hard as it sounds. She's <laughs> only been with nine people. And, you know, she, that doesn't seem like a lot to her. 
but it seems like a good amount because she's able to remember all of the men, the boys and men that she's been with vividly. That good pipe. Mm hmm. She's able to remember all of her encounters because she's, you know, only been with nine people and she can't stop thinking about her recent affairs. And, you know, she mentions the experience of running into an ex-lover. And the only thing that you can think about is the two of you naked. I will say the actress, I don't in this very moment remember her name. She's selling it, right? Like she's, I she's think a good actor. She's a good actress. You know, when she's, I, she's doing what she has to. But I just feel like there was a moment, you know, they zoomed in on that, that viewfinder, that high contrast and just the look behind her eyes of kind of just like. Get me out of here. Wow, I'm really having to say this. Hmm. Yeah, when I say I hate the character, I'm not directing it at this actress. Um, I think she's good. I would say generally this cast is is really strong. Yeah, I, I would believe agree. them all. You know, the very limited reviews I was able to find online were largely negative about the acting. I don't think the acting's the problem here. I don't. I think it's the writing. I mean, and, and also, all of these actors are either stars or at least successful working actors in their own right. Besides, like, the one girl that plays Natalie. Besides that, they've all had success. I mean, the three scripted shows that we've done so far, I would I, out of all of them, I would say this is the strongest crop of, yeah. of actors. I mean, it's, like, moderately star-studded. And, like, the actress who plays Zoe is very busy working TV actress. I, I mean, we can talk about Zoe later. Maybe when She's on a lot of shows. I love her. I think that from, from an from an audience member i like watching her she's a fun character i think the actress brings a lot to the role she's my favorite character i think her line deliveries are great i think she's adorable i think she makes the most absurd lines she says really absurd lines but she makes them work and i think her character behavior makes logical sense she doesn't seem like she was written by a machine she seems like a real girl do you think that anyone has ever thought this hard about the bedford diaries no i don't I feel like this is a fun thing. Like, it should be something to, it should be something we consider at the end of every show. Have we thought about this more than the writers? (laughs) Have we spent more time agonizing over the Bedford Diaries than the creators of the Bedford Diaries spent? I'd be curious to know. So Owen shows up at Sarah's house to crash and as we know that they were fighting pretty intensely in the last episode, he told her that she was a bad person or the last like two episodes. The scene was crazy to me because she, <laughs> she's like in a like little lacy little tank top and she just seems like she's flirting with him for the whole scene. And I just wonder if there was vibes between this actress and Penn Badgley because it just seems really under like there's an underlying sexuality to the scene. Right. Guys, we haven't even watched a VC Andrews movie in so long. Speaking of, we have to watch the last Lifetime. Oh Heaven my god, movie. we haven't watched we the haven't last watched the movie. Oh Should my we do god, that after this, yeah. So she saunters over to the door, opens it, and but sorry, sorry to interrupt you. But even the scene that she has a bit later with Macklin, there's like she is horny. She is horny. And I, I guess the character is supposed to be horny in this episode. She right. said in her video diary that she's horny. So I appreciate that she's playing up the horniness. It just doesn't seem like something she needed to do in the scene with her brother. Right. 
So she she opens the door and she's surprised to see him because they haven't spoken in a week. And the last time they spoke, he called her a bad person. And he doesn't apologize. He just says, oh, like, I, you know, I was really leading into hyperbole. But, you know, like, you know, I love you. And she just forgives him, which is like, I mean, that's accurate sibling behavior, right? Like, she's not going to hold this against him. They're going to move on. Don't have a sibling. But um, he asks if he can crash there because she doesn't have a roommate. Um, she's apparently still looking for a roommate. Where the fuck is Olive? Are we forgetting about Olive? So I guess Olive moved out in one of the four minute chunks that was moving, missing from a previous episode. Um, I would not be surprised if this was the first time they were addressing it. That Olive had moved out? Yeah. Yeah. So Sarah says that Owen can stay. Now we get a little scene between Lee and Zoe's boy toy, Chris. And he's cute. I like him. Uh, he he was a prick. You I mean, know, everything and, he says is annoying. Right. But just the actor. I He's cute. Is so my point. Lee asks Chris how it went with Zoe, how it deflowering Zoe was. And Chris was like, well, it didn't happen because there were some technical difficulties. Zoe lied. So Lee is realizing that Zoe lied and that they never actually had sex. And you can see that Lee's really happy about it. I mean, he didn't want her to have sex with this guy in the first place. And he loves that she didn't have sex and that she felt the need to lie about it. I mean, immediately where my mind goes is, okay, Lee's girlfriend is talking about cramping. There's a good chance, not a good chance, right? There's a chance she may lose the baby. And then, of course, him and Zoe. He'll be free to be with Zoe. Yeah. So... After class, Sarah pulls Professor Macklin aside. And yeah, she does seem a little bit horny. And you know, this wouldn't be the first time she was attracted to a teacher. I think Professor Macklin is an attractive man. The thing is, I think he's I way more attractive than Dixon. I don't think he is attractive from like a logical standpoint. Like I don't see him in anything attractive man. But there's something, he has like a, a confidence, a smugness to him that I'm like... Oh. Debbie you're Ryan right. hair talk? Yeah, you're like, wait, <laughs> wait. <laughs> um, I think he's attractive. Like, I think he's just physically attractive, but I also think that he has, like, an attractive, he's an attractive character. Love a man with a turtleneck. And I don't mind that he's bad at teaching. Um, He does remind me of, of the professor that I had freshman year who wore the dainty little scarves. So... Sarah asks Macklin for advice on, you know, whether exes can ever truly be friends or if sex will always be something that's between them. And she mentions that she ran into an ex-lover that she had an affair with and that she isn't sure if she should go to her ex-lover's reading that he's having. Macklin, you know, she doesn't say that it's Professor Dixon, but Macklin seems like he knows And he doesn't really give her any real advice, but she says, you know, I feel like if I go to this reading, I'll have some control over the situation. And Macklin says, you know, wow, you know, it must be really exhausting kind of trying to control everything all the time. Maybe you should just like not try to be such a control freak, basically is what he says. He should maybe be telling her to stop judging homeless people. Mm -hmm. It just kind of seems like he's not giving any real advice here. And it doesn't, what he's saying doesn't seem applicable to the problem. Um, but she says, I'm going to go to the reading and Macklin says, well, it seems like you made up your mind before you even asked me, which is true. Lee realizes because he's called into the Dean's office, he realizes 
but he has gambled away his entire scholarship <laughs> bank account. So the scholarship that he has to go to Bedford Diaries, he has access to that bank account scholarship money. And he used that money to gamble. And well, he, he said it was only $10,000, but I cannot believe that his scholarship his is tuition only $10, is only $10,000. I mean, the rest of it could be covered by Finade. It's true. So he gambled away all of his scholarship money and he maxed out his credit cards. Then we get... Been there. (laughs) (laughs) The credit cards, not the financial Um, Yeah, I mean, of course. So then we get a montage of him gambling. He's trying to win the money back. And this montage is set to Here We Go Again by OK Go, which is the song that was made famous by the viral YouTube video where the band is dancing on treadmills. Um, I've enjoyed seeing this song in context of a television show. I think, you know, it, it is an illustration of 2006 culture in a way that I really appreciated. Um, but he doesn't win any money back. In fact, he loses another like $500, five or 600 Lee, you might be bad at poker. It seems like maybe this isn't the right vice for you. <laughs> so he stays up all night gambling. Then he's once again outside on the sidewalk shooting his video diary. He loves to shoot his video diary outside. Um, And he says in his video diary that he's abstinent right now because his girlfriend can't have sex and that he's been filling that void with gambling. It just seems like you were addicted to gambling before you stopped having sex. Correct. Well, I think he realizes it's a lie because he stops and rewinds and erases that footage and re-records and says... I'm not having sex with my girlfriend right now. So how come I can't stop thinking about having sex with Zoe? I didn't think it was a lie. I thought he just didn't want his teacher to know he was addicted to gambling. That's also a fair interpretation. (laughs) Um, So he can't stop thinking about sex with Zoe. Fair. Interesting. Uh, Me either. You know, I've been haunted by the spooning. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny to me. That he's like, I'm not having sex right now, so how come I can't stop thinking about sex? Well, probably because you're not having sex. It it, it was not clicking for you. So maybe you should be reading your art history books. Natalie runs into Owen in the dining hall, and she wants to talk to him about why he's been so cold and distant since she told him that he couldn't crash. Why he's being a punk ass bitch. And um, he doesn't answer her and is very disrespectful and says, you know what? You were right. And we just jumped into this way too soon. And she says, well, can we at least stay friends? And he says, yeah, like we're friends. Basically, he just dumps her and ends the whole relationship, which I was surprised he was willing to throw everything away over one little tiny issue. Well, it it connects to the end of the last episode, right? I think it all it's it's all very clearly stemming from his insecurity um, over about her history about her history with Milo you know he doesn't think he can compete with Milo and, and you know what he can't he can't but it's not his looks it's not his looks that are standing in his way it's his behavior it's his personality um Lee comes to Zoe at the bugle where she's working and I thought that this was going to have something to do with the fact that he just admitted that he wants to fuck her really bad But um, it's not about that. It's (laughs) the fact that he needs advice. Um, She says, oh, my God, you look awful. And he says, well, (laughs) what? It's just what I say to my friends, too. Yeah. So he says, I've been up all night gambling and I lost $10,000. 
And she's like, oh my God, that is insane. Well, thank God we have rich friends. Literally, she says, well, you should ask Richard. Are Lee and Richard friends? I don't, I I mean, they've gone to a bar together a couple times. Lee crashed at his place once. And Richard is very, very rich. So she says, you know, you, Richard is good people. You should ask him for money. So he does. And Richard immediately agrees to lend Lee $10,000. Despite the fact that Lee lies and says that he lost the money because he spent it all on baby gear. Well, the scene is bizarre because Richard clearly doesn't believe him. But also doesn't push it. And, you know, maybe it's because, you know, with his struggles with his own addictions, he knows that pushing it isn't the answer. Mm -hmm. But it seems like maybe he should be trying to help his friend who has a problem. Or just be like, hey, I know it was gambling and I'm going to lend you the money anyway, but you need to promise me you're not going to gamble with this money. Correct. Something like that. But I do appreciate that he it just is a really nice guy and a generous person. And he lends this $10,000 to Lee. No questions asked. Now, once again, Richard has hired somebody who sucks to be the new sexy Sadie. And he only hired this girl because he was sleeping with her, hooking up with her. So we see that he's rebounded since the heartbreak over Katrina and he's been hooking up with someone else. But this girl that he's hired to be sexy Sadie is terrible and she can't write for shit. So he fires her and she storms out and leaves Zoe with a fragment of what she was working on as sexy Sadie. And Zoe rewrites it. And then puts it on Richard's desk. Finished. Richard sees the article and says, we've made a huge mistake. We have to rehire this girl. This is brilliant. This writing is great. I'm not making a single edit. Well, Zoe says, don't rehire that girl. I wrote that. Yeah. I wrote that column. And Richard hires her on the spot. He's really impressed with her writing. He thinks that she would be the perfect sexy Sadie. I will say, in this finale, the four other leads who at this point had um, monopolized the screen with their boring-ass storylines, I feel like in this finale, are flopping, whereas the two characters who were kind of being ignored, not ignored, but who are clearly scraping the bottom of the barrel plot wise, I feel like are really getting their shine. Mm -hmm. And I, I love it. I love seeing Lee's struggle with his gambling addiction. I love that Zoe is getting her shine and that she's going to become sexy Sadie, even though she's still a virgin. I mean, I really appreciated with her plot line that her arc wasn't about her losing her virginity, but it is about her finding her passion, which in this case ends up being writing. Yeah. She says at one point on her video diary that, you know, she's never been abstinent. She's been abstinent from sex, but not from being sexual. And she just does whatever she wants. You know, if she wants a bunch of donuts, she'll eat a bunch of donuts. If she wants a guy, he's going to be there. Um, But she doesn't feel like she deserves to be sexy Sadie. She doesn't think that. She has the discipline. Because she has no discipline. She's so indulgent. She doesn't think that she has the discipline to be a writer. And she thinks that she's just getting given this job because Richard feels bad for her. So she goes to a bar with Natalie. Hilarious scene. A a fabulous scene. And she tells Natalie that she thinks that Richard just pities her. And Natalie says, you know, Richard is a lot of things, but he's not insincere. And if he tells you that the article is great, he really believes that the article is great and you should take the job. And Zoe takes it. So this is... A great arc for Zoe. She's the new sexy Sadie. She's found her passion and we love it. It's like her life was almost momentarily ruined by sexy Sadie. 
you know, with the whole pregnancy leak. And but she got her life back on track. And now she is sexy Sadie. Um, so Zoe and Natalie get really <laughs> distracted because their song starts playing. And that's Tell them song, what the song is. Tell them song, what the fucking song is. That song is Hollaback Girl. This shit is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Why wasn't this the chunk that was edited out? You know what I mean? Like, what was happening in this other chunk for maybe copyright reasons that they, that is missing from the interwebs? Why was Hollaback Girl by Gwen Stefani allowed if OAR wasn't? You know, those are the kinds of questions that I fear to ask because I know that I'll never get the answer I deserve. <laughs> um, but Zoe and Natalie get up and have a little dance party to Hollaback Girl and they are grinding on guys And they're just having a fucking blast. They're besties. They're gal pals. They're loving Gwen Stefani. I know, baby. I know. I miss dancing, too. I miss it, too. I want to dance. Don't think about it so hard, because you know what? We can dance here at home. We don't have a speaker anymore. We should probably... Well, we have our Roku that plays Spotify right off the TV. Can we dance after? Yes. As long as... Can it be Hollaback Girl? Of course. Of course. Look, am I kept up at night? Missing my life, you know, missing going out. Yes. Um, Period. Am I scared of what the future may bring? Yes. Do I want to think about it in this moment? No. And that's why we have to focus our energy on the Bedford Diaries. Sarah decides to go to Professor Dixon's reading, where he is reading about... Um, some author that Professor Macklin thinks is an absolute lunatic. Well, they had, so there was a weird, there was a bizarre scene between Dixon and Macklin where it seemed to me like Macklin was insinuating that Dixon had maybe plagiarized. Like that's the vibe I got from that scene. Like he just kept asking a lot of questions about, you know, this author and being shocked that this book got published and you know kind of like i will be there to see what's happening i mean i thought it was that this author that dixon wrote his book about macklin thinks is an idiot and a lunatic and obviously professor dixon thinks that he's a brilliant poet like a brilliant man so they're just on opposite sides of the spectrum with their values and beliefs it just seems like there was something deeper it did seem like like macklin was ready to expose dixon for something yeah it did feel like there was something going on macklin obviously hates dixon so sarah goes to his lack of passion yeah so Sarah goes to Dixon's reading and she brings Owen, who's really bored by it. Um, he doesn't need to be there. There's no reason why he's there. So that's all I have to say about that. But did you see, okay, there's a section in the reading where Dixon references suicide. Yeah. And Owen perks the fuck up and it's like, what? It was odd. Well, because he's thinking about Natalie, but he's already broken up with Natalie. That's why it's like, is this out of order? Because... But then I think, okay, well, maybe in the chunk that's missing after this, he attempts to make up with Natalie. Right. Because he, like, realizes he's in love with her or something. But also in this scene, Sarah is, like, tenderly grasping his arm and is once again, like, I'm like, why are there vibes between them? Um, But what I got from this is that Dixon was a total blowhard and that I would, I couldn't be paid to read his fucking dull ass book. 
Macklin is there and he approaches Sarah as she's talking to Dixon. Dixon inscribes his book with a message for her about how she was the inspiration behind it. Macklin takes the book out of her hand and reads the inscription out loud and is just mocking Professor Dixon to his face. Um, And it seems like it's really fucking heating up and going somewhere. And then the video cut off. And 10 minutes are missing. Yeah. So what we got from digging is that Sarah is kind of interested in giving Dixon a second chance because he tells her that he loves her. But then she sees him hitting on another student and she realizes that like he hasn't changed and he is just a player and she's going to put everything behind her. What I really hope is that he wrote that message for Sarah in her book and he wrote the exact same thing for like some other high young student. Yeah. That's what in my heart of hearts I hope happened. And that makes sense. I mean, I was also wondering if that's what Macklin was revealing. Right. Um, Because then he says, I'm going to buy the books in bulk. So I'm wondering if he picks up another book. And it's inscribed with the same message to another girl. Right. That's what I kind of think. But also, that's your mind and my mind. And we're geniuses. And we're geniuses. So what, (laughs) you know, what were the writers coming up with? Um, And I also just was, I was excited to see the stuff heat up between Macklin and Dixon. And we don't get to see that. So when we pick up for the last, the final few minutes of the show, it is Natalie in bed. Well, before we get a quick flash of what appears to be Owen in his bathroom doing something with his hair. Like emotionally cutting his hair So off. I did think, you know, that there are posts, there are character posters in which the characters look different. Like Sarah has bangs and Penn Batchley has shaved his hair. So I'm like, you know, like maybe he had some sort of confrontation with Natalie and then he dramatically cut his hair. You know, because he was realizing what a dick he was, perhaps, and saw that he needed to change. So... Richard comes to Natalie's dorm room and he says, you know, in the past, I would have asked you to get a drink, but now I'm just asking you to take a walk with me. So it's the middle of the day. I would go on any walk with Milo. Looking at Milo and Tamelia in the scene, like I was moved by him in a way that I haven't been since my early Gilmore Girls days. Well, but his, hair, his hair's a little cut. It's, he just looks good, you know. So he's apolog- he apologizes to Natalie for that night, the night that led her to her suicide attempt. And he admits that he was blackout drunk that night. He doesn't remember anything that happened. And, but he blames himself and he wants to know, what, what did I do to drive you to jump? Whatever it was, I'm so sorry that I did it. And, you know, when you were in the hospital, I was thinking about you so much. And she says, you know, I was thinking about you, too. And he wants to know what he did. And she says, I don't remember either. You know, I don't remember anything from that night. I was really confused by this because I'm pretty sure in the pilot, he talks about the first time that he had, like, really clear, sober, emotional sex with someone was the night that led to a girl jumping off a building, but he is now describing this night as a blackout drunk night. I mean, he could have had sober sex with her and then gotten blackout drunk. After the fact. Sure. Of course. The show has to end with a video diary. It's it's, so important. It's interesting that it ends with Natalie's video diary. And on her video diary, she says that she lied to Richard and that she actually remembers everything. However, she doesn't say what he did to drive her to jump. And now in my mind, you know, It's not his fault that she jumped. I don't think he did something to make her jump. But it does seem like she does feel like he had something to do with it. She 
uses a, a lot of coded language, right? Like, she doesn't really say anything. Yeah. But it, se- it, it, it seems to me like she was saying that she really felt a lot of joy with Richard and almost yeah. like he did something to take that away. Yeah. Well, almost alluding says- to maybe him breaking up with her or something like that, which seems kind of questionable. Yeah. So she says a version of what he said in a previous episode about the relationship, which is that she felt heightened with him. That he made her feel alive. Closer to her pain, but also closer to her joy. And the episode ends with her saying, you know, considering giving Richard a second chance. So it looks like you were right. And Richard and Natalie are in a back to end game. I knew it. Then her video diary pulls away and we hear layers of the different students' video diaries from the season of the show cut together, you know, like a collage of video diaries. I do say I did enjoy it. I liked it. I thought it was a cute way to end. And it's Macklin sitting in his office watching the video diary. And then he turns the TV off. And that's the end of the Bedford Diaries. I do have to say the the collage of video diaries are not their recent video diaries. It was like the episode one video diary. Correct. Because, yeah, it just was. I, it, the show, you know, it, it is what it is. It feels a little sloppy. It feels a little out of order. Do we think... So let's just take a minute and take stock of where everyone ended. Mm-hmm. Zoe great arc ends with being sexy she finds her passion she finds her passion lee maybe not into gambling anymore question mark he gets ten thousand dollars from richard and i guess you know he gets to stay in school but he's like into zoe he's into zoe we don't get any closure with that correct sarah and her and richard are gonna continue their weird flirtationship she is over her teacher, it seems yeah. like. I mean, is she going to continue her flirtationship with Richard? Or is Richard going to get with Natalie? Who's to say? You mm-hmm. know, the show loves a good love triangle. Mm-hmm. There have there've been like four mm-hmm. over one season. Um, we don't really know where Owen ends. I guess alone. He ends up alone. Which is what he needs right now. I agree. Because he needs to grow up a little. And then Richard and Nat- Natalie end up possibly together. Do, you th- do we think her video diary is the result of the writer's not knowing what had happened or intentionally wanting to leave the only romance alive mysterious going into season two. I think they never decided why she jumped because they never make a suggestion that they really know. Correct. And there's not a lot of discussion about her depression or about any traumas that she's been through. I mean, even the way she talks about depression is not particularly articulate, nor does it seem particularly accurate. I don't think that the writers... Or present in her life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I just don't think that the writers really... And I I don't mean to insult them by saying this, but um, I've insulted them in other ways. (laughs) I just don't think that they really had a grasp on on what her history was before the show. Um, And I don't think that they were ready to take on like why she jumped and what went down between her and Richard. Um, with the episode coming to an end, I believe it is now time for the Bedford Diaries incident report. Date of death, May 18th, 2006. Six days after the season one finale of the Bedford Diaries aired. Immediate cause of death. I would say multiple 
blunt force injuries after falling off a New York City skyscraper um, as a consequence of so, so many underdeveloped characters vying to occupy what I would consider um, uninspired flimsy plot lines. And I would also like to note that there was a high amount of sex deprivation and an extensive number of puncture wounds, undoubtedly from darts. Um, In this case, darts is not life. It is quite the opposite. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is my Bedford Diaries autopsy report. You know, these are sad times. And it is always pretty hard for Roberto and I when we get to the end of a show. Because as you guys know, we put everything into (laughs) these shows and we put everything into this podcast. And after investing so much in eight episodes, it's hard to see our friends taken from us. You know, we're gathered here today in memory of just that, a friend. In memory of a friend, a lover, and a teacher. The Bedford Diaries gave so much in its short two-month lifespan. And what did we give it in return? As a society, what did we give back to the Bedford Diaries? We gave it disdain, disrespect, derision, and a 13% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, Bedford, it may not have been smart, and it may not have been strong, but it was there for us at the end of the WB's life, and it was the end of the WB's legacy. I want to do a brief reading um, when I was preparing to eulogize this show. I was looking for quotes from people from Bedford's life. People from 2006 who experienced the Bedford Diaries in its heyday. And I came across this really touching little piece by at Fix Your Cat on IMDb. This is an IMDb user from 2006. Give it to us. The show's problems arise from both the bland storylines and the lack of sympathy a viewer feels for the characters. When four white kids, one black kid and one Hispanic kid, all cute and bubbly and scholastically successful, whine about trust issues and love, forgive me if I am pulled to vomit. Some characters are wrath-deserving from the get-go. One was pulled to do a drastic, irrational thing after a breakup with her boyfriend. Referring to Natalie. Another suffers from the irritating, meanie paradox. One minute he's a total ass, and the next he's deconstructing his difficult nature and attributing it to, again, a breakup. Richard. Boring television is what that makes. Unless you're a fan of pre-packaged repartee straight from the TV therapist or reality show du jour. And you know what? I couldn't I have... Am. <laughs> I am. I am. <laughs> I love it. I loved this show. It was so fun. So I just want to say rest in peace, rest in paradise. You will be missed. The WB, you are missed. So, the so Bedford missed. The Diaries, you are missed. I wish Milo Ventimiglia, everyone on that team the best. We love you. Penn Badgley, we love you. Other cast members, we fucking love you. And that's deadass really sincere. We criticize, we judge, but I loved the show. And I, you know, when 
of our close friend says that, you know, the the earlier part one recap was one of their favorite episodes that we've done. And we love sharing this with you guys. Yeah. Um, it's just going to keep being this awesome here on out. We have a lot, you know, ending the show is bittersweet because I did enjoy it. And there are, there's a really great chance that the next few shows we do suck, right? But I'm so excited for what's to come. We have a really, a lot of exciting things We have planned. a really cool lineup that we've planned out over the next couple months. So we're going to keep hitting you with one season shows, mini-sodes, and quickie episodes. We've got a whole bunch of stuff planned with special guests. Super stoked. You know, before we kind of round this out, I am going to plug the Instagram. At Never Stop. Departed the Pod. And the Twitter, at Dearly Depodcast. Before we officially sign off, though, you know, Abby and I were talking and we really wanted to find a way that we never forget, you know, the shows that we do. You know, we have so many exciting things planned, but we never want to forget those that came before. We want them to live in our hearts forever. So we have decided that at the end of each show, we want to start a ranking of the top five shows most deserving of getting canceled. (laughs) Now... We've now watched five shows. Bedford was our fifth. Correct. So we're going to create a rating from most deserving to get canceled to least deserving to get canceled. And each show, you know, that we watch from now on will either be so wonderful that it doesn't even deserve a place on that list or so goddamn awful that we have to throw it in at that number one spot. Correct. Um, So before we do that ranking, we just want to give you a little throwback. Our first episode was, of course, the incredible CW show, The Beautiful Life, colon, TBL, starring the amazing Sarah Paxton. And created by Ashton Kutcher. Produced. Produced by Ashton Kutcher. (laughs) Um, I would recall that I would I would look back on that show and say that the immediate cause of death was definitely malnourishment. You know, that show was craving for sustenance for for something. It wasn't it wasn't given the proper nourishment that it needed to thrive. Correct. Um, Followed by following the beautiful life, we had the iconic legendary Brittany and Kevin chaotic immediate cause of death being an overdose of chaos. Um, because if you watch that show, you know, it's literally it's all over the place. And we fucking loved it. Every second. Zero hour is undoubtedly, um, one of the worst shows I've ever seen. Um, and I would say the immediate cause of death is a religiously motivated suicide. You know, it's no secret that it took us like five months to get through that whole show. Yeah. It put our whole podcast on hold. You know, we promised not to let that happen again, but it did kind of seem like that show wanted to go up in flames. <laughs> That's how zealously it was dedicated to God. Correct. And of course, the latest show that we covered tackled with the incredible Molly McAleer was NYC Prep. And all I have to say is that for me, it's just a simple case of a show caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. Was Bravo the place for a teen show like that? I'm not sure. You know, if it had landed on MTV in 2013 or what year did it come out? Nine. If it had landed, you know, just a little bit later on MTV or on E, would it have had the the lifespan that it deserved? A truly legendary show. So we haven't ranked them yet. I thought it would be fun for us to do it live. So Abby, at the number five spot, what is the show 
out of all of these that you think is the least deserving of getting canceled. I think we can maybe both agree that it would be NYC Prep. I agree as well. I loved NYC Prep. And I just think, given that it was a reality show, it doesn't have to have the same ongoing plot season to season. And so if they had gotten a new cast, they could have, you know, kept doing it just with different kids from different prep schools every year. Yeah. Or we could have followed a couple of the key players onto college. Everybody knows, or maybe not everybody, um, but, you know, I'm I'm greatly interested in PC and I would have liked to see where he had gone. Well, I, I look at NYC Prep and I could almost see a, a Laguna Beach type legacy in which they do a few seasons. And then, of course, the standout character gets their own spinoff, their own version of The Hills. Yeah. You know, and we know that PC wanted to come to L.A. and be an actor. Yeah. Um, at the number four spot, I'm I'm a little torn between... The Bedford Diaries and Brittany and Kevin Chaotic. I agree. I think for me, I would put Brittany and Kevin Chaotic. At number four. Just because Brittany has ongoing star power and endless, I think, endless content. But Obviously, you do have to admit, though, the magic of that show is how short it is. Because let's be real. It's a little boring. Mm. It's crazy. But the way it's stitched together is like nothing really happens. And it is just about her relationship with K-Fed. And of course, that really, it, it culminates in their marriage. And then she broke her ankle and they had some kids. And then eventually the marriage fell apart. And of right. course, she had her breakdown. And I guess ultimately, do I think it would have been good if she had had a reality show at that time? No. no. Um, we, free Britney. Free Britney. This is not a joke. Fucking free Britney. She's dropping a lot of hints, guys. This is a huge deal. If you don't free know... Britney. Diet Prada actually did a really good post that broke down the entire history. If you don't, if you don't know the history of all that, and I'm sure there's a lot. Do of your reading on Britney's conservatorship if you have any type of respect for her or me. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I mean, I think it ended at the time it needed to. I but agree. if things had gone different for Britney, I would have loved to see more seasons of that show. Yeah. Um. So number four, number four, let's and then Brittany number Kevin. three, The Bedford Diaries. At number two, I think despite saying it is the worst show I've ever seen, I would have to give it to Zero Hour. I think Zero Hour had what some of the other shows didn't because it had a full 13 episode. I agree. And so we got to see the show kind of culminate. And like some of you heard in our part three, if you if you haven't gotten a chance, yeah. go back and listen. But... That finale of Zero Hour had us it kind of, rocked. It kind of <laughs> hit different. I'm not going to lie. And they did set up for a, a sign of curious, a curious season two. Yeah. So I wouldn't have been furious if, the, if, that, if that show had gotten to season two. Do I think it deserved to get canceled? 110%. Yes, absolutely. But do I think it could have done a season two? Sure. But then it would have gotten canceled after that season two. Yes. And finally, of course, at the number one spot, the the show most deserving of getting canceled is Ashton the beautiful Kutcher's life. The Beautiful Life. Colin and TDL. And I can narrow it down to one single moment. Mm, tell us. The moment where we were denied the Reina and whatever the fuck Nico Tortorella's characters, Calvin Kleinad. The way the show could not give us a fake Calvin Klein ad was so disrespectful. When they, you know, when we realized that they didn't even have the budget to Photoshop a Calvin (laughs) Klein ad onto the NASDAQ. They couldn't even fucking Photoshop that shit for us. The finale, correct me if I'm wrong. So the entire episode 
of the last episode where not you know they, they, there's a launch party where the pictures are the point of the party and yet you don't see the pictures and then they even go to Times Square at the beginning of the photo we don't see the photo and the last shot is I'm pretty sure Sarah Paxton like up all night she ends up in Times Square again she looks up are we gonna see it are we gonna see it fade no. to black fade to black like um, the show that show had more than enough time it had more than it deserved it had Corbin fucking blue and they did not utilize him no super offensive so i'm gonna say that's in our number one spot as most deserving to get canceled i'm excited to see how long it stays there i would have to be pretty impressed (laughs) if a show was to knock tbl off of the the number one spot right i could see other shows getting knocked off like i could see britney um, and kevin you know something coming in something coming in is more deserving of getting canceled than nyc prep but we'll see. We're not going to do an, an, an extensive ranking, you know, past these top five, because we hope to do this for a very long time. Um, yeah. But we're excited to be on this journey and be prepared for more autopsies and more in memoriams. We love you guys. Thank you for listening. From the bottom of our wine glasses, we want to thank all the people who made this show possible. Our theme song is by Ben Muller of Low Ceilings, music available on Spotify. Artwork by Hunter Bustamante. And additional tunes by Rachel Baldwin and Gal Petal. Till the next cancellation. <laughs>